Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, January 30th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. This is like the good old days. Rev's <laughs> on the other side of the glass, producing up a proverbial storm. This um, takes Mondays to make Friday's edition of Wake Up Carolina. We'll Freehold's probably freezing his bejesus off <laughs> about now in Montana. Um, he's got a little small car. Right? I mean, what's, is it a, um, what is it? It's a, it's a Mini Cooper? Mini, yep. Yeah. Mini. They'll laugh him out of Montana. If he shows up from Freehold, New Jersey, driving a Mini Cooper, those kind of people don't last long in in, um, in Montana. <laughs> I encouraged him when he left here. I said, hey, man, the first place you need to go is buy a truck dealership and buy you a pickup truck, and um, you'll have a better chance of surviving. Right about that. You are um, right. Yeah. The, 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 the ridicule he'll take. If he goes to, um, wish him well. If he goes to Montana to Mini Cooper saying, I'm free old New Jersey. I don't know how that float in a river one of these <laughs> one of these early days while he's off they wouldn't in Montana. Believe it. They wouldn't believe it. Hey, I was all set to watch some spectacular football yesterday, and it failed to deliver. I mean, it was just not very riveting. In particular, the first game, um, the 49ers were down to their, well, I mean, they were debating whether Debo or Christian McCaffrey was going to play quarterback in the second half. Uh, very unfortunate for the uh, NFL football fan. That's probably the best day in all of football. I mean, I don't care if you're a college football guy or not. The um, the four teams vying for two spots to go to the Super Bowl is always a, um, I don't know, a uh, just a great day for football fans in America and around the world for that matter. But when Purdy got hurt for San Francisco, it was obvious they had no chance. I mean, their defense dug in and dug in and dug in and dug in. But they had nobody could throw the football. They actually put it a backup. Remember now that they, they had a starter, and then Garoppolo was the backup to the starter, Trey Lance. Um, so Lance gets hurt. Garoppolo gets hurt. Purdy is Mr. Irrelevant, the last player in the entire draft. He plays and, and succeeds. I mean, does exceedingly well being, you know, the, uh, the last pick of the draft. He gets hurt. They put a guy named Josh Johnson. No idea who that was. He gets hurt. <laughs> they end up having to um, put Purdy back in with the understanding that he can't throw. He's got a bad elbow and just can't throw the football. So it was um, it was a lousy football game after Purdy got hurt. Uh, maybe Philadelphia wins anyway, but they're home. They had the best record of the NFC. But it would have been a much more competitive affair had um, had Purdy not gotten hurt and the 49ers been at full strength. Well, they wouldn't have been at full strength because they're playing their third quarterback. But when your third quarterback mm-hmm. gets hurt – and then your fourth quarterback gets hurt. It's hard to beat anybody uh, after that's the case. And at the end of the game, they actually had McCurdy and Debo running around back there. Uh, excuse me, McCaffrey and Debo running around back there trying to figure out, okay, you try this for a little while, and we'll try that. San, uh, excuse me, um, Kansas City and, um, and Cincinnati was an interesting game. It seemed like every time Kansas City needed a big call, they got it. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. It is like wrestling a little bit sometimes, and you wonder about the NFL's sincerity in officiating or whether they have these preconceived notions of who should play or not. But it looked to me like <laughs> that there was a script they already had written and San Francisco, excuse me, and um and and Kansas City needed to win to make sure um that came to fruition. Two good teams, very close game, um, a last possession affair as most of those really good uh, NFL games are. But it just seemed to me like every time San Francisco, excuse me, I keep saying, sir, every time Kansas City needed a um, a big break, 
the um the guys with the striped shirts provided maybe that just big a coincidence. Break. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's two even teams. I mean, it really is. Cincinnati yeah. and um and Kansas City are fairly equal one to another. The game was in um Kansas City and Airhead Stadium, and they just seemed. I mean, they caught about four breaks in the second half, and they were at exactly the most opportune time they could possibly um catch that break. Eight four three six six one. 0937 is our number. So now we wait for two weeks on the Super Bowl, and that is the day in which um, the non-football fan becomes a football fan. Uh, I, I'm kind of a diehard. I watch it, you know, from the time it starts until the time it ends. Uh, a lot of people, like my wife, has not watched a single game except the one she was forced to attend with her family. She'll kind of tune into the Super Bowl to find out who's playing at halftime and what sort of commercials, <laughs> what sort of politically You're correct right. and woke commercials We'll have um, now. Did did you ever slow down or not watch the NFL throughout the controversy over the last I, several years? I like years? football too much. I, I thought about so, it, and I did feel like, wow, man, I'm kind of a sellout. But I just I love football too much to stop watching it. Here's what I here's where I landed. I love the game too much to let jerks destroy my intense love for the game. It's a little bit like people who love baseball. I mean, you yeah, know, th- I get that. there's a nostalgia and a romance that's associated with baseball when they when they went on strike. Yeah, I felt like you know, punishing the people who screwed up the game of which I love, but I love the game too much. So are there things that happen around some of these, you know, athletic affairs that I don't like? Of course there are. But but I go back to my love of the game for football, and I'm not going to let, you know, 20 or 25 select jerks destroy my um my love and affection for the game. Let's go to the phone. Someone's already there. Bird Odom, Marlboro County. Good morning, Bird. Good morning. How y'all doing? Hey, Bird. Good. Uh, great event at the State House Saturday. We had about 500 plus people uh, for uh, uh, President Trump's uh, return to South Carolina. Very energized crowd, and uh, President Trump's uh, message was mostly uh, 90% or better of policy and where we were at and where we were going, where he intends to take us. And, uh, he uh, talked on a lot of new initiatives that uh, kind of surprised me, but he's got some new initiatives, some lot dealing with education uh, that he wants to get in place. And it, it was just a great event. Uh, he put together the, what I call the dream team in South Carolina, leadership of uh, the government master, Lieutenant Governor Pamela Abbott, uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, Congressman uh, Russell Fry, uh, Alex Timmons, or William Timmons, excuse me, uh, and of course uh, uh, Joe Wilson. So he's put together a great team to start off with, and uh, it was just an energized event, uh, slam pack rotunda. Of course, Ken, you've been in there, and it was I don't, it was standing room only, and it was just a fantastic message that President Trump delivered. He didn't talk hardly any none about the, the previous election, and uh, didn't throw any zingers towards any Republicans, and just threw a few fingers towards uh, Biden, but it was just a great launch to uh, South Carolina's uh, uh, hosting uh, President Trump again in a state that he loves very much. Bodver, let me ask you this. You would know better than I. The grassroots are lined up behind whom? Because I'm hearing through the grapevine that some of the grassroots folk are waiting to see what Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley decide to do. Is that true? I don't see that. I don't see that. I did. Uh, I talked with Byron York with uh, Fox News, and uh, I also talked with Ed Henry on uh, uh, the network that he's on now. And no, I don't see that. Uh, that was the question that they, both of those reporters posed to me. Uh, DeSantos is a great governor, but he's not ready to be president. And I just don't think that uh, 
uh, with the launch that President Trump had Saturday, and I think he'll do these things probably all over the country, get his leadership team together. I don't think that either one of them will challenge President Trump. DeSantos is very young. If he challenges Trump and loses, he'll become a Jeb Bush. He'll never be president. And uh, in the end, from the way I read it, uh, I think Trump's going to be out there. He's going to be the person uh, top of the ticket. And I, I just don't see uh, uh, the handful of, uh, as you say, some a few dissenters that want to try somebody else. Uh, if you get a chance, anybody listen to Lindsey Graham's two-minute speech. I think he, he, he tells it about as well as he is. He said... Uh, uh, Donald Trump's policies are what turned this tr- country around. And uh, that's the, hey, very, very, but that's the same Lindsey that voted for the infrastructure bill and the one point nine trillion dollar omnibus bill, right? That's the same Lindsey Graham, right? Okay, he doesn't do he doesn't do everything that we like, but he backs President Trump one hundred percent because of what he did for our country for those four years and stuff. And he said, without Trump, there is no Trump policies. People can talk about Trumps, and he said, down the road, there's a lot of great. Great politicians uh, down the road that will emerge over the next few years, but he said uh, there, there's only one Donald Trump, and I think that's what really stuck with the crowd, and I got the biggest ovation. And I think that uh, in 2016, uh, we needed Donald Trump to save the country. Me and you talked about that a lot, Ken, and he did do that. And I think in 2024, uh, there's only one person probably in the world that can uh, save America, and I think it's going to be Donald Trump again. Thank you, Verd. Appreciate the update, my man. And it was a, um, uh, it was a, a fairly exuberant crowd. I mean, I did, I, I, you asked me if I watched any of that. I didn't watch any, but I heard reports and I texted with a few people who were there. I mean, they, there were a lot of people, I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. There were a lot of people on Team Trump in 20 that aren't on Team Trump in 2024, yours truly included. Now, that doesn't mean we can't get there, but, but I know a lot of people. That, that are waiting to see what happens for the next 30, 60, maybe even even 90 days. Uh, I went back and looked at some of the odds makers last night uh, during the football game. It's not late yesterday afternoon. When the, when the San Francisco quarterback situation <laughs> got so bad, I knew where that game was headed. Turned the TV on mute, started doing some radio work. But but the uh, the odds makers in London, you can't bet on the American presidency in America, but you can overseas today, this morning. As we speak, Ron DeSantis is a 26.7% chance to be elected president of the United States. Joe Biden has a 25% chance of being reelected president of the United States. Donald Trump has a 20% chance of being elected president. Kamala Harris at 59 Gavin Newsom at 48 Everyone else is less than 3%. And that includes Mike Pompeo. That includes, wow, uh, Peter Thiel. I mean, that, that Nikki in, Haley. Yeah, Nikki Haley. Uh, Mike Pence, uh, you know, some of the other second, uh, what I call minor candidates. Um, now, who of that bunch can get to 10%? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I don't know what Nikki can do once she makes an announcement, a formal announcement. I don't have any idea what Pompeo or Pence or anybody else can, can do. Can they get to the 10% that legitimizes a campaign in some way, shape, or form? But but I know for a fact, and is not one, and it's obvious Lindsey and, and, and Russell and Henry and uh, who else? Uh, Andre was there. Uh, the lieutenant governor was there. Pamela Evett. Uh, it's obvious they're on Team Trump. But there are a lot of people in state politics waiting to see what happens. And and I know some of these folks have been privileged to polling that shows it a lot more closely contested than some of the Trump world um, believe it will be. Now, now, once again, does DeSantis get in or not? I don't have any idea. 
Um, I've told you where I stood, and I know where I stand is is pretty much in conflict with the majority of our listeners. Um, I was I was on the Trump steering committee in 2020 because he was our nominee. I'm not going to be on the Trump steering committee in 2024 until we settle some disputes and figure out exactly where where the party goes. Reb, the one thing Trump has to do, and Verd doesn't want to hear this, and nobody else wants to hear this, the Trump team has to understand that there's still 20% of Republicans that just will not vote for him ever again. And that's a quandary. That's a conundrum. And that's something we Republicans have to work through. I wish it weren't the case. Because if it weren't the case, it'd be a lot easier to support President Trump. I mean, it really and truly would. But you can't have, I mean, there's a certain thing as residual loyalty in politics, but it can't be blind loyalty. It can't be irresponsible loyalty. I believe that Donald Trump was a really, really good president. I think if given an opportunity, Donald Trump could be a really, really, really good president again. But can Trump successfully run again? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. It doesn't matter about 500 people cramming themselves into a, into a state house, you know, and, and Lindsay to say, hey, you like me sometimes, you don't like me other times. I think I predicted a couple of weeks ago that the two people front and center would be the governor and Lindsey Graham. Um, I knew Russell would be there. I expected Russell to be there. Russell should have been there. I mean, Russell has to demonstrate a degree of loyalty to the former president for the, for the support he gave him at the Tom Ross congressional race. But, but where does the GOP go from here? And I'll tell you, when you really start studying some of the, um, and I don't want to call DeSantis a secondary candidate because he's certainly not. I mean, he would be, by most accounts, not all accounts, but by most accounts, he would be an equal front runner. I mean, if DeSantis gets in tomorrow, I mean, here, here's the London odds makers. You ready? DeSantis at 26.7%. Trump at 20%. I mean, those are the wise guys. Those, that's not the Fox News crowd. That's not the CNN, you know, crowd. That's not the MSNBC. That's not the New York Times. Wall These are the wise guys. I thought I saw some polling that showed Trump like 25 or 35% higher than the closest competitor. I, I'm not, I've primary. seen that polling, but I don't put any faith in that yeah, polling. I, don't know, I, don't I can know tell you who doesn't put any faith in that polling. The the, the odds makers. Right. I mean, the odds makers say that's cooked books. That might, that doesn't matter at all. Um, but that's the question you got to ask yourself as a Republican primary voter. Who has the best chance to beat a, uh, a Joe Biden, a Kamala Harris, or a Gavin Newsom? I mean, to me, that's what, what, what about Ron DeSantis? What do you get with Trump that you don't get with DeSantis? And I'm not advocating for DeSantis. I think there's a very legitimate debate to be had about whether or not Trump or DeSantis are best equipped to lead the Republican Party into the next uh, phase of the America First movement. Um, personally, I think there's there's unanswered questions there. Lindsey doesn't think there are. Uh, Lindsey's on Team Trump. Henry's on Team Trump. Pamela, owns, she's on Team Trump. Andre's on, I mean, a lot of these current former politicians have um, this residual loyalty is it blind loyalty? No, it's not blind loyalty. It's very well-founded, and it makes sense to, to be on Team Trump. But it also makes sense to wait and find out what another candidate or two will decide to do, and Ron DeSantis is the wild card. He is unique, though, and this really happened rarely in history. He's not an incumbent, but he is a former president running again. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, I mean, most people would line up against an incumbent president, right? Correct. Without, without question. Correct. And there wouldn't even be contested primary in Correct. those cases. Um, but in this case, it's such a unique situation that it's almost like you're supporting an incumbent when it's actually not technically. 
Well, I mean, just think of this, guys. I mean, and I'm not telling you what to think or what not to. We, we could talk about this all morning. I mean, this would be a great morning to have this debate since he was in, in South Carolina and New Hampshire in consecutive days. Joe Biden's going to be, what, 82 or three years old? Donald Trump's going to be, what, 78 or nine years old? I mean, is that, is that kind of where we are? Are we okay with that as a country, that, that the two left standing in the Republican and Democrat primaries are 79 and 82 years old? I mean, is that what we're going to be about? I mean, how many of us say, I don't want an 80-year-old governor of the nation? I mean, he's said it forever and ever and ever. I mean, we said it since Biden got there. Now, I'll accept that Trump's uh, lighter on his feet and sharper with his wit than Joe Biden is. Biden obviously has some cognitive issues, no question about it. But, I mean, have we reduced American politics to a place where an 80-year-old man is going to be, you know, opposing an 82-year-old man for leader of the free world? I mean, you've got to ask yourself that question. Is that what you want? Is that in America's best interest? Once again, there has to be some residual loyalty. We all owe Trump a debt of gratitude for what he did in reestablishing kind of an anti-establishment sentiment within the Republican Party. But but you can't have that blind loyalty, that the residual loyalty that becomes blind loyalty is something I don't want to be a part of. And I'd love to see this party have a vigorous debate about what, you know, the, the appreciation and gratitude that we have for Donald Trump and the visionary uh, kind of looking forward, who's the next guy to take the baton? That, that, that's the question we're going to ask ourselves. And look, as much as Chris Christie and John Kasich get on ABC News and say what it is they say, they don't represent the interests of the Republican primary voter. They've really never represented your interest to any degree. You just kind of believe them for longer than you should have, to be honest with you. But, but we have, a, we have, a, um, we have an, a question answer, and that is Ron DeSantis, if he gets in, or Donald Trump. That is a... That, 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 I mean, to me, it's going to be a blessing for Republican primary voters. I mean, if we have DeSantis and Trump mixing it up for a year at a primary, I mean, that, that's, that's not just good for talk radio. I mean, I think it's good for the GOP. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. We're not shorthanded because we did it this way for a long time long, long time. But since we um, grew and evolved, we've added a production. Uh, what is it? Pro- producer. Producer, producer to the show. Rev's having to do some double duty today, but we'll get that figured out sooner than later. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Elaine in Florence. Good morning. Hey, um, I want to talk to Ken about a problem that we have concerning homeless people that sleep on the street. Um, I live in an area where there's commercial backing up to residential, and we have elderly people in the residential areas, and the ladies live alone. They walk with canes. And this gentleman that, from what I understand, was um, arrested last Monday for either probation or um, parole violation is continuing to sleep within feet of these ladies back doors. Um, I called and asked if we had an ordinance forbidding that. And I was told not that the codes people knew about. I cannot believe that the city of Florence doesn't have something that addresses people sleeping on the ground. Um, That's interesting. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. That's not an isolated example. I'll give you a a couple of other stories. 
I've had people reach out to me asking, what am I to do about the business I own where a man and woman who are obviously homeless and transient, a little bit vagabondish, and they, they, they come into my business with a backpack on. I mean, that makes me nervous to begin with. The, the, the person with a toboggan or the, you know, the hoodie and the backpack, I mean, that makes me nervous to begin with. I'm sorry. I mean, call me what you choose to call me. But, but I'm on guard when I get around those sorts of circumstances and situations. And it seems to be more commonplace, more commonplace, more commonplace. Um, many of the parking lots, I can't speak to Sumter Orangeburg. I don't live there. But I would imagine if we're dealing with it here, they're probably dealing with some of those realities there. Um, I don't know how you enforce a law that says you can't walk through these parking lots one day after the next, after the next, after the next with a backpack and a hoodie on because you kind of freak people out. I mean, there's no law against freaking people out. There's a law against hurting people. There's a law against injuring people. There's a law against stealing. There's a law against, um, you know, a lot of other things. But I don't know what you can do about someone sleeping in the woods unless somebody owns the property and says, I don't want any um, squatters in, in my property. We know, Rev, you and I have talked about this. We know there are two or three locations that have turned into kind of what villages of people who don't have a home. They're, they're homeless. They're destitute. Um, for whatever reason, I don't have any idea, drug use, um, family affairs, um, they like sleeping in the woods. I don't have any idea what the motivation is, but it's a little bit scary as far as I'm concerned. And as the parent of a daughter, I mean, I'm always telling her, Hey, don't go there after dark because that property backs up to, uh, to an area that, that I suspect homeless people are camping out or squatting and doing what it is they do out there. Um, I mean, it's sad is, 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 is say, you know, you wish people could all have somewhere to live and stay, um, but they don't. And, and what sort of responsibilities does law enforcement have in um, some of the panhandling, some of the squatting, some of the homeless um, sleeping in places that make otherwise normal areas a bit uncomfortable? Um, I don't know what we can do about it. I'll reach out to the sheriff's department and see if I can get some sort of um, answer as to um are there codes? Do we need to pass laws? Is the city and county aggressively pursuing some sort of political action that would disallow that from happening? Because it does make you nervous. I mean, it make I'm always on guard, especially when someone has the hoodie and the backpack. Because I don't know what's under the hood, and I can't see clearly, and I certainly don't know what's in what's in the backpack. And I'm sorry, guys, we, we live in a very conflicting world, right? I mean, we know that we live in a very um I don't want to say an odd time in American history. But it's, it's a different time than what I normally have been accustomed um, to. So to the lady who called, Elaine, I think was her name, um, I don't know. I'll try to find out if the county has some ordinance or if county council or city council can execute some sort of ordinance that, that makes that illegal. Now, here's the question. What do you do if it's illegal? You carry them to jail for vagrancy, for lower? I mean, I don't know. You know, what, what, I mean, if you pass a law... That, that disallows them from doing that, what is the punishment for violating or breaking or breaking that law? Here's all I know. As a father of a 20-year-old daughter, I shouldn't be nervous about her wanting to run to a store after dark, but I am. And a lot of my concern and apprehension is because I know how many people walk up and down the aisles and rows of those parking lots, and a lot of it's just bumming for money. I mean, a lot of it is my car's broken down, my kid's got, you know, some sort of disease, and it's the repetitive nature of that. And um, and when I was younger, Rev, I just believed that was reserved for major metropolitan areas. You know, you saw that sort of stuff in big, big cities. 
but it's not the case anymore. I mean, it's very commonplace. Once again, I can't speak to Sumter, can't speak to Orangeburg, but it's not uncommon at all to go to a big box retailer, a grocery store, a shopping mall, and encounter situations like that that make um that make the average American a bit uncomfortable. And it's nobody saying, look, um, those people don't have a right to do what it is they choose to do, but do they have a right to make you uncomfortable? Do they have a right to infringe upon your security and safety? Um, let, let, let's hypothetically say the person walks through the parking lot and both people have hoodies and backpacks on. Is it your problem that you get nervous? You know, is, is that something you've got to deal with? They ain't hurt you yet. Uh, but, but what's in the backpack? Is it a knife, a gun? Is it a Bible? Is it a, you know, is it a, uh, a book of poetry? I don't know. But, but I'm sorry. I just come from the real world. I don't live in the hypothetical, um, excuse me, I don't live in the place where visions of sugar plums dance in everybody's head. I live in the real world. I read about the real world. I try to understand the real world. And the truth is there is a crime problem that seems to be worse than ever. Well, you said earlier, you know, there's not a day goes by that we don't hear some violent crime perpetrated against a fellow person in the PD region of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, whether it's um, Marion or Dillon or Florence or Darlington or Lake City or, you know, it's just always. I mean, it seems like every single day there's a violent crime, one um, committed against another person in our area. And I mean, I think the lady is very warranted to be nervous about that situation. And if there's not a rule against that or an ordinance that opposes that, maybe city and council need to understand this sort of, this isn't Norman Rockwell, that this isn't the white picket fence and everybody goes home every night and, um, you know, leave it to Beaver. You know, the lady cooks dinner and the man walks in the door and they hug one another and the kids come rushing in. It's a very different sort of world we live in. And I think politics has to adjust accordingly. And, um, and I would support the city and county. I mean, I've said it on the air, and I'll say it again. I think we should make panhandling illegal. Well, when you leave a shopping center, you shouldn't have to worry about somebody knocking on your window asking for money. I mean, that should be illegal. If I want to make a contribution to charity, I will do that. I mean, I have every right to leave a uh, – and I'm talking about Walmart in particular. I mean, there, there are three or four exits, and you can't find one without some you know panhandler or beggar standing at the street corner and we know now that the majority of this is organized they probably got more money in their bank account than you do but um but but the the homelessness the panhandling uh to me it brings along and and i interpret it as uh less safe than normal and um and i think government has a job to enforce policies and and ordinances that that you know normal people living normal lives don't feel threatened by going out to buy groceries. Let's go to the phone. Larry in the PD, good morning. Good morning. Well, this is a tough one, man, because these are people who are, well, they're people, right? But um, I had an economics professor one time say, why are all the pigeons at the park? Because that's where you feed them. And incentives matter, and somehow or another, we are incentivizing people to sleep on doorsteps and live outside. In other words, Florence must be a good place to be because if it wasn't a good place to be, they wouldn't be here or they would take, there's so many resources that are available for, for the homeless in our, in our community, but they don't use it because there's a equal or better alternative. Florence County's not going to run you off. These businesses won't tell you to leave. Hey, this is a good corner to make some money on. We're getting known as a place that's open uh, to that, so we're going to get more of it. 
Um, Larry, Larry is it a, Larry? Is it an overstatement to say it's rampant today in Florence County? Um, it's not rampant, but it's definitely common. Okay. Rampant will be when when little old ladies are getting shoved around and hit over the head because some some of the homeless problem is is a mental problem, some of it's a crime problem, and sometimes those two things intersect. And uh, sometimes it's just a, you know a financial problem. There's all kinds of causes for it, but. When it becomes rampant, you're going to get that percentage of folks, you know, we say, you know, the 10% that give the other 90 a bad name. Um, you're going to get some aggressive panhandling. It's going to really make people, I don't think we're aggressive yet. We don't have people standing at every uh, intersection trying to wash your windshield and won't, won't let you not do it. Um, but, but we could be headed that way. So um, I just think that we need to make sure that whatever laws are on the books do get enforced and that... I mean, it's not a crime to not own a home. It's not a crime not to have anywhere to live. But what do you do during your 8 to 5 when you're homeless and you're you're trying to, you know, get by? How are you trying to get by? I think that's the question. Um, but the more that we abide it and the easier that we make it, the more we may get of it. But, like I said, it's a difficult problem because we're talking about human beings. We're talking about real people who you know, have a right to exist, they just sometimes get a little outside the norm of what society thinks is okay, and we got to ask ourselves, is that, are we going to make that, a lot of the norms, a lot of things that fall outside of societal norms, we make illegal, and is this going to be one of those things, and if so, how illegal? I'm with you, I've got a young daughter, I don't like it when she goes to Walmart after dark, um, you know, some of it is also these companies and these businesses need to make sure that they're not being uh, indifferent, which means that they're being permissive. And, and again, incentives matter. So if there's a parking lot where I know the, the owners and the, and the management won't run me off, well, not only am I going to be there, but I'm going to tell my buddy, hey, if you're having a hard time getting things together, come over here and panhandle because they won't stop you. So I think you've got to have one of those, I hate to say it, I hate the term, the public-private partnership. But we need to, we need to agree, uh, the businesses and the, and the law enforcement need to agree, and, and if we post these places that you can't trespass and you only need to be here if you're doing business, and you certainly can't sleep underneath my porta cachet at night when the business is closed, I think that a lot of it solves itself. It's not like you need to crack down. You just need to make sure that they understand that, this isn't a place that you can do that. Well explained. Thanks, Larry. Appreciate the call. And, and I'll say this. I, I don't want to appear to be inhumane. I promise I'm not. I mean, I have sympathy for those whose lives have, have ended up in a place where that's the best they can do. And I believe that. I think there's some that have um, ended up there not of their own volition, not, not because they've got a drug issue, but because of some mental illness issue, some, um, you know, lose a job, lose a spouse, life gets completely and totally off the track. You end up in a place you never imagined you'd end up. So there's a humanity part of this. Um, Larry mentioned, you know, the social contract last week. Here I go with a libertarian socialist. There's a socialist libertarian. You know, I want limited government until I feel like my daughter may be threatened somewhere at a big box retailer after dark. Then all of a sudden I want government to intervene and take care of the situation at hand. I think raising awareness, having a conversation about the real, the realities and the practicalities of it is a good first step. But, but I think Larry, the, the way he illustrated the examples, yeah, that there's very much a, I don't want to appear to be inhumane. And there's a, a human dignity part of this of this narrative that deserves to be considered. 
but but once again, um, do you want your kid? Do you want your spouse, your loved one? And I'm talking to. I'll say this. I mean, as a as a as a a husband and father of a daughter. I mean, I, I don't want my wife being in a position where people are walking through the parking lot with hoodies and backpacks on. I just don't. I mean, I'm not afraid to say that. That bothers me. That concerns me. But but why is that person walking through that parking lot with a hoodie and a backpack on? Um, is there a Bible in that backpack or is there a gun in that backpack? Is there a machete in that backpack? I, I, I just always think, I don't just always think the worst, but but as I told you, one of my boys said, Dad, you wake up every day assuming everything's going wrong. Yeah, I do. I mean, I've had a few days like that where everything did go did go wrong. And I think I have an obligation to my family as its, you know, its leader to be um, aware of these sorts of situations and circumstances. But but it's complex. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's complicated. I don't have a right to go to every, you know, commercial endeavor in, in Florence and say, hey, you need to stop with this nonsense of allowing homeless people to sleep behind your building or rummage through your, your garbage or walk in and get a free Diet Pepsi or whatever it is you should not. I mean, I don't have the right nor authority to do that. And and is it rampant? I think Larry described it. It's not rampant. It's common. It's far more common than I'm comfortable with. But once again, there's a, am I being inhumane? Am I being insensitive? No, well, I mean, to, to me, I mean, I quantify it by saying, no, I'm being a, a good guardian. I mean, my, my daughter doesn't interpret danger as I do. She thinks that everybody walking through a parking lot with a hoodie and a backpack asking for money uh, ended up there because of just some unfortunate circumstance and situation. It's my guard to help her filter through. No, there are bad people in the world, honey. And there are people who will hurt you if given an opportunity, take advantage of you if given the opportunity. And I've got to be your guardian. I've got to be that layer of insulation that, that you know, the things that you just don't believe are out there are. And I've got to make you aware of that and guarded about that or on guard by that. Take a break. Back in a minute. I had all sorts of things written down. I had Davos. I had uh, Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan are thinking about building a kind of an anti-Davos gathering in London, talking about energy and food and all these other sorts of things. Mm. But, but Elaine puts something very interesting on the table. As, as the majority of us are limited government believers, what is our role of responsibility to the mentally ill? Um, Rick said a second ago that Reagan, if you go back, that there was an act passed and anyway the the, the act and, and president reagan basically reaffirmed the act it 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 ended the practice of institutionalizing patients against their will in other words if some family member says dave baker has a mental illness and needs to be institutionalized dave baker could say no i don't i mean it would be the um the deinstitutionalization of society happened about 40 years ago ish somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 years ago what is our obligation and, and a, you're drawing a line between you know true mental illness and professional yeah but, but well, I mean, right? when, the, when the person's walking through that parking lot at walmart with a backpack and a hoodie you don't know if they're mentally ill to the point of needing to be in an institution or if they're just a professional homeless person or if they're an addict and need help to get off of some sort of drug i mean we don't know that um right. but but you you make these assumptions you do and I do. Everybody does. Stop with the nonsense. You know you make assumptions just like I do. I don't care if the person is mentally ill, uh, an addict, or, or professional homeless. I don't. They, they they make me nervous when they're around my daughter or around my wife or around me for that matter. 
so so if we if we believe to Larry's point that we don't have a, an epidemic, but we have a uh, it's a more frequent occurrence now. Um, Elaine called back and said she wanted you to know that she's not a conservative American. I mean, she wanted that clear. She said, I'm a Democrat. Ken would think I'm a communist. Some of the political opinions I have. But but she's concerned that there are homeless people sleeping outside of senior centers. I would be deeply concerned that there are homeless people sleeping out outside of senior centers. And, and I, as I asked Rick before we took our last break, what is our responsibility as society? You're part of society. I'm a part of society. What is our responsibility to the to the to the mentally ill who are not institutionalized? That they're 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 being allowed to wander around communities. They're they're not able. They've got some uh, some malfunction, some defect. I mean, there's something going on. Can, can they be uh, rehabilitated? Is recovery possible? I don't know. Schizophrenia. Um, how do we treat people with these sorts of mental illnesses? Um, because there's no question about it. We cut the budget significantly in relation to the treatment of mental illness. Now, we did it so we could fund Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security. And Medicaid does fund some mental illness, not very much. But, I mean, we've cut a couple of trillion dollars worth of um, spending that would have gone to the treatment of mentally ill uh, and maybe that's, but, but once again, I'm trying to decide and you're trying to decide and our callers are trying to decide when that person with a hoodie in the backpack walking across the, the parking lot for the 20th time in 30 days, that makes me nervous every time they walk past me, what's in that backpack? Is it a Bible or is it a gun? Or are they schizophrenic? Are they mentally ill to the point of, uh, you know, need to be in a rehabilitation facility or institution, or are they just a professional homeless? You don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. But I know that that I know that I feel my daughter's at risk and her well-being is at risk when she's around those sorts of circumstances. So society does have an obligation, I think, to decipher whether this person is a professional homeless, very capable of going to work, but doesn't want to. They're lazy and no good. Believe it or not, liberals, there are some people out there who are lazy and no good. And the lazy, no-count, good-for-nothing person that doesn't go, want to go to work, that is comfortable living in a tent, bumming money at the front of Walmart, that person doesn't deserve to be treated as the person who has a serious mental illness or is dealing with some degree of addiction. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. Kim, what would you have in your backpack if you were homeless? I know what I have in mine. But anyway, y'all, a lady can thank her Democrat Party. I mean, Florence is a Democrat city, so why should anybody be surprised? And you ordered to talk about food, too. Well, I've been looking at some stuff and talking to some people. Uh, it looks like that they're trying to vaccinate us through our food. I've been uh, reading stuff where they've been giving the jab to our cattle and, and, uh, and our domestic animals. And then I was reading some stuff about the egg situation. Well, if all of the chickens are dead from the flu, why is feed so expensive? Because you don't have any chickens to feed to feed in the first place, so why would there be a supply shortage of feed? But another question about the eggs is all it appears a lot of the farmers think that Parima and Tractor Supply have done something to the chicken feed to make the chickens not uh, lay eggs. And I was reading some on that. I talked to some of the people in my community where I live, out in Aldon, that raised their own chickens. And uh, some of them are laying eggs, some aren't. But it appears the ones that are laying the most eggs are getting less of the 
tractor supply feed and more scraps from the table. But what really surprised me is when I started looking at the people that are on the boards of these companies. When you think of tractor supply, you think of it as a good alternative to Lowe's or Home Depot. You think local, good old boys, guys of your values. But then when you look at the board of directors from uh, from Tractor Supply, well, you go right back to Davos. Every daggone last one of them is a leftist Marxist that's all over that World Economic Forum, forum the, the world. I mean, they're all part of this globalist elite that are trying to destroy the middle class of the entire world. So if you just look at who runs these co companies and who's on the board, that'll tell you a lot. But it wouldn't surprise you at all, kid. Would it surprise you at all to find out that all of the conspiracy theories, again, concerning our food supply, turn out to be true also? Thank you, Breeze. No, I mean, nothing the government does would surprise me any longer. It's almost like there's no conspiracy theory uh, that is too too extreme. Breeze texted me a little bit Saturday about some of what he'd read with tractor supply and chicken feed and the chicken, you know, I think um, the chicken farmer in Georgia passed Elon Musk's weekend as the wealthiest man in the world because <laughs> he has the capacity, you know, the potential earnings of a uh, of a chicken farm laying eggs, not not for Tyson, not for, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken or, or Bojangles, but rather uh, to lay eggs for grocery stores. I, I want to go back to this because I, I want to stay here for a second. I want to get Rev's take on this. So, so Rev, would you be in favor of a task force? I mean, we're, we live in a city. We live in a county governed by Republicans, a city governed by Democrats. I mean, I don't know if the, if the problem is countywide, but, but does the city government of Florence, that's where you and I live, does the city government of Florence have a responsibility to make a distinguishment between, you know, the, the, the homeless man or woman being an addict mentally ill, or just a professional member of the homeless class? I mean, does the government have the, the, should the government have the ability to initiate an investigation into said homeless man or woman and find out exactly what's kicking in their world? Should law enforcement be involved in that? Um, I, I would tend to say yes. Okay. I, I because of the the potential threat to public safety, sure. Okay, you you got to get the phone there for a second, but but and I think that's where we conservatives. I mean, you know, w when you talk about the counties governed by Republicans, the cities governed by Democrats, um, is there any law on the books? There's does there need to be? Do we have a situation with homelessness in Florence County today that you believe requires local government to act? Can local government act? Does it have to be the General Assembly of South Carolina? Does it have to be the federal government? If we believe that there has been this deinstitutionalization of the mentally ill that began, I mean, it really goes back to civil liberties. I mean, it goes back to, I mean, it's before Reagan. It probably goes all the way back to Kennedy. When, when, when civil, civil liberties were celebrated and concerns over some of these forced treatments and Reagan being a civil libertarian and someone who believed in life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, Reagan basically, I mean, there's an old saying, Jerry Brown let them all out of prison. Reagan let them all out of the mental hospitals. I mean, that, that, it's not as simple as that. Obviously, it's a lot more, a lot more complex than that. But there are fewer inmates in, in prisons in California because of Jerry Brown. There are fewer ah, homeless and destitute people in mental illness hospital or mental facilities than they're probably, but I mean, it should government, what is government's role there? And they're experts in this field. There's somebody out there that can distinguish whether this person is mentally ill 
whether they're dealing with addiction or whether they're just, you know, sorry and no count and, and, and would rather stand in front of Walmart and beat people out of their hard-earned money than go get a job and earn their own. I mean, believe it or not, there are people like that, guys. I know the liberals, hard to convince. The, the liberal believes everybody out there is out there not because of their own makings, but life has thrown them a big curveball. No, some people are no count. Some people are good for nothing. Some people choose to not work. They would rather you work hard, make money, and give them some of your hard-earned money as they sign idly by with a sometime a cane, sometime a crutch, sometime the hood of a car up with a kid sitting beside it. Um, that's not mental illness. I mean, if you're that devious, you're not mentally ill. I mean, if you're that you know unscrupulous, you're not that uh, you're not mentally ill. Let's go to the phone, Thomas and Florence. Good morning. Morning, guys. How are y'all? Hey, Thomas. Hey. Um. So yeah, I think we do have a major problem going on. Um. In Florence, I've called the mayor's office a couple times just to let her know about a few things. Uh. And basically, all she says is the first thing is like, well, what do you think we should do about it? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm not the elected official here. You are. But it's almost like they want to put it back on the general public um, to take care of the problem. Um, a, a, a young female that I know is jogging on the rail trail at Florence. And when you get in there behind the Hobby Lobby and Lowe's, there is that or was, I don't know if it still is, a tent city back in there. And she was running and went back in there and was scared to death because, it was summertime and there was men passed out in their underwear and just, it was just crazy. And she turned around and ran out, ran out, excuse me, because she felt very, um, you know, threatened or, and you know, she just felt very scared, but yeah. And if, if you notice where they congregate, um, unfortunately it's like they leave trash everywhere and, you know, and I know as a Christian, we're supposed to take care of the less of these, but some of these guys, just like you're saying, just want to, um, a handout and, and, and they're physically able and mentally able to go out and get a job and there's help on the signs all over the place, but it's just a lot easier for them to lay up have to stand out the rest of the day um, with a sign begging for money. So that's off of or things. Yeah. We lost you there at the end. Thank you for the call. We lost you there at the end. You were breaking up eight, four, three, six, six, one, Oh, nine, three, seven. I don't have the answer to this. I'm proposing a, 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 a controversial scenario. What should we as a community demand of our elected officials when we have something consistently problematic? And I think we would agree. Once again, I can't speak to Sumter. I can't speak to Orangeburg. I'm not there every day. But there are far more homeless people in our community today than at any time that I can ever remember. It, 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 it leads me to believe that people are less safe when they go to the store. They're less safe when they jog down a rail trail. They're less safe when they're with their, you know, imagine a, you know, a mom and a daughter jogging on a rail trail and there's a homeless village just to the left or right of that homeless village. I mean, how much safer, how much less safe do you feel? What, what sort of authority does government have? Um, should you be allowed to make camp on private property? I mean, could you pass a law saying if you don't own the property, you're not allowed to, you know, to, to, to pitch camp, to make camp, to stay there for day after day or week after week or month after month? And I'm not saying every homeless person is dangerous. I'm certainly not suggesting nor insinuating. I don't believe for a second that every homeless person is dangerous, but some are. What are we dealing with? What are we doing to deal with a potential homeless person 
that may be a threat to, to Rev's wife's uh, safety or well-being or my wife or daughter's safety or well-being. And, and then what is the government's responsibility if you do have to get involved as a government official, law enforcement, or, or whatever, and determine whether it's mental illness or it's just a professional panhandler or an addiction issue, then what's the next level responsibility? Let's say you find somebody and there is a, a serious mental issue there. What's the next step? Well, I mean, you get treat. Right? I mean, wouldn't you agree to that? I mean, you, yeah. you're, you're not inhumane. I mean, no, I'm, of course. I, see, see a, a lot of people think we conservatives are inhumane. I mean, everybody's on their own. I've never said that. I mean, I, I believe in life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. I believe in rugged individualism. I believe that you get about what you deserve. But I also understand that there are people out there with mental disorders. There are people out there struggling and battling with addiction that can get help, don't have any money, that don't have anywhere to go, nowhere to turn. Um, you know, the, the criminal justice system is not the answer for everybody like that. Uh, institutions and, 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 you know, help agencies. I mean, I, I think there has to be kind of a, um, a, a, a multiplexed way of treating some of these people. Um, but they don't need to be sleeping in the woods beside a rail trail. They don't need to be walking through the parking lot of big box retailers every single day harassing good and decent consumers. That threat diminishes the quality of life in community A, B, or C. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Good morning. I tell you there, I, I, I think you got too much common sense once again, uh, Ken. But uh, if Jeffy had been on there, if Jeff had come on, he would have already thrown out a baker's dozens of what about Trump to answer to every question you've ever had. If it's a value of pi, the square root of two, what about Trump? I, I just uh, can't imagine that he wouldn't have an answer for everything that uh, you've just asked. But it is dangerous. And I don't care if it is a hundred and hundred and forty pound uh man that's homeless. If he gets behind you with an iron bar or a good bat, he'd take you down, Ken. He'd take anybody down. And that's that's just the way it is. It's a dangerous thing. You gotta be alert, you gotta watch what you're doing. And uh it's unbelievable that we're back to the wild west like this this is uh well and thank you mike appreciate it. it's not rampant as larry said but it's common i mean it's not uncommon it, it, i'll tell you what it would be rev and tell me if i'm right or wrong here it would be uncommon to go an entire week and not run up on a situation like that a run up on situation <laughs> encounter no, a situation right. like that i mean it's more common than not i mean it doesn't happen every day but it happens every week I think we can all agree to that. And it makes a lot of people nervous. I mean, it really and truly does. So if you've got a, um, you know, a public a little bit nervous about certain situations, is it, is it the government's job to police, monitor, you know, d demand change? Um, do we form some sort of here with a committee? You ready? Do, do we put together a task force within law enforcement that, that you know, identifies who these people are? And, and are they mentally ill? Or are they an, an addict in search of some sort of um, treatment or rehabilitation? Or are they just a professional homeless? And, and how do we distinguish treating with one another? What do you do with a professional homeless person who is from Montana but lives in Florence? I mean, for what the winds blew them here. I mean, it just happens to be where they are right now. Should they be allowed to do their thing in our community? I, forget mental illness and addiction for a second, because I think we all agree that's a different animal. That's a different element. I mean, there has to be different treating mechanisms there. But what do we do with a person who's not mentally ill, not an addict, 
but but decided here's where they want to panhandle. Here's where they want to beg. Here there's where they want to sleep in the woods. I mean, certainly we can do something about that, can't we? So who gets to distinguish whether or not this person is an addict, is mentally ill, is just a professional homeless? That that that's the I mean that's the question I'm posing, and I don't have any idea how to answer that question. Is it law enforcement? Is it social workers? Is it the county or city council? I mean, somebody needs to address this issue because once again, it's becoming far too common. 843-661-0937. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Okay, Mr. Former Politician. You were a county councilman at one point. This issue is this this is served up under your plate. What do you do? I would I would work with the General Assembly to designate funding to decide how to identify someone as mentally ill. I mean, I think once you decide someone's mentally ill, you got to deal with them in a different sort of way. I don't know that the county has the money in the budget, but I would lobby the low Jordan Rickenbox of the world to convince them that we need some funding in our county's law enforcement budget to readily identify whether someone has a mental health issue or not. Once we do that, then, you know, the institutionalization or not, find a family, you don't know how these people became disconnected from their family. You don't have any idea. The, the majority don't have means or resources or they wouldn't be sleeping in the woods, right? I mean, we, we got to accept that resources and funding is a big part of this. And, and I'm as conservative as they come. And I want as limited a government as you can have. But I don't want a homeless, mentally ill man walking in a, in a McDonald's killing 20 people either. I mean, what's the expense associated with that? So, yeah, I want limited government. I want responsible spending. But if I'm a member of county council and I believe my county has a problem with homelessness being far too common, I'm not trying to identify the the professional homeless to begin with. I'm going to identify the mentally ill who are there, not of their own volition, but because their lives are just, uh, you know, there's a number of mental illnesses, Rev. Can they be rehabilitated? Is it, I hate to say this, is it terminal? You know what I mean? Is it, do they have something wrong with them that can't be corrected? And have they fallen through the cracks? Has something in their lives happened recently that allowed them to get, you know, Ted Kaczynski would be an example of that. I mean, Kaczynski wasn't always mentally ill. I mean, he became mentally ill and very deeply disturbed at the point of putting bombs in mailboxes. Um, so, so when you say, well, you'd spend millions of dollars to make sure people weren't sleeping in the woods that needed to be? Yes, if it meant lessening the chance of a of a, a severely mentally ill homeless man or woman walking into a, a restaurant or a retailer and killing eight or ten people. I mean, what's that worth? 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Lynn in Hartsville. Good morning. Well, good morning. Uh, Ken, I've, I've been out here, uh, and I guess this morning is the first time I ever really considered uh, – where I was at in this problem. I've been homeless for 12 years, but I've been living in my van. And I would park in Walmart parking lot and sit at the back door. And I took and made rings out of old silver coins, just sitting there, not selling them, but would take them and make them. And I sold them at the flea market in different places. The city of Florence comes by, sees me making these rings. They force me into buying a $50 license for just sitting there making those rings, even though I wasn't selling them. I had to pay the city of Florence for that 
for that retail license. And and then I, you know, uh, opioids put me out here way back. Uh, I got addicted to those, and that's what put me out here. I've never been able to really get another foothold, but in the 12 years. Lynn, why have you, why have you never been able to, I want to interrupt. I'm sorry. Why have you never been able to get another foothold? Why have you not been able to get yourself back in a, in a better place? Well, it, it's coming. It's coming. I'm not giving up. Uh, I just did not make enough money to afford housing or anything else. And, and, and when people would come into what I do now, I don't do the rings anymore. I I went and borrowed fifteen hundred, and I started. I guess you know what my business is. I now. do. You probably I do. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, it's working its way up. See, and and before long, maybe I will be able to. But are so you off I of talk, opiates? Ha, ha, are you off of opiates now? Are you still addicted to opiates or not? Well, no, sir. One hundred percent off. I've been clean now the whole time. Yes, sir. But that's what put me out here. I was worth a half a million at one time. And that's what those opiates did to me. They'll make a new man out of you. And that new man, he wants him some too. That's Interesting. They were good well, well, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. And, and I want to say this. See, that there's a story. I mean, that there's a story of a man who's homeless, but, but his homelessness was a derivative of addiction. You, you can't say that everybody out there is is a professional member of the homeless community they are there are some there no doubt about it but you've got mentally ill you've got addiction and then you've got those who just choose to live that sort of life the only thing i'm concerned of i mean i'm deeply concerned about addiction obviously because i've lived it i'm concerned about you know someone who's mentally ill and not receiving the proper treatment i mean being conservative doesn't mean you don't care stop with that nonsense I mean, I understand that there's an element out there in liberal land that says conservatives don't care about anybody. No, we care about everybody. Let me say that again. Conservatives care about everybody. We just want to effectively and efficiently address things when it comes to government. So if government has the ability to set aside funding for mental illness and address it in an effective, efficient way, let's do it. Let's absolutely do it. Um, My biggest concern about the settlement, and I've told Rev this, Having lived some of this, my biggest concern of the opioid settlement money, and I'm talking about Purdue and Johnson & Johnson and some of these huge companies that have admitted they misled the public by arguing these uh, medications weren't that addictive when they knew absolutely they were, this money is going to end up in government coffers. They'll hire thousands of bureaucrats. That They'll create thousands of government agencies, and the success rate will be 15 20 25% because that's what it is in public sector rehab. Instead of funding some of these private sector proven rehabilitation facilities that can get people back on their feet. That, that's the privatization of rehab that I think this money needs to go toward. But, but you do have the professional homeless. You have people who are no count, good for nothing, lazy, just don't want to work, would rather you work and take your money. We can't treat all of those people the same. But we, 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 we've got to distinguish, okay, this person is obviously addicted. What can we do to help them? Because, Rev, when you help them, it helps us. Once again, what is it worth to get a mentally ill person off the street in some sort of institution where they're receiving quality treatment and, 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 and then them walking into one of McDonald's extremely disturbed with a firearm and killing eight or nine innocent people? 
I mean, we hear that story a lot, the mentally ill with guns, the mentally ill with guns, the mentally ill with guns. And I think we as a society have an obligation and a responsibility. But, but what are we doing is my question. If we believe we have a problem that has become far too common, what are our elected officials doing to try and address it? Let's go to the phone. Woody in Lakeview, good morning. Good morning. Um, falls back into the question of these people hanging around in public places and you're concerned about safety and welfare of your daughter, wife, granddaughter. I have granddaughters of my own. I'm concerned about them. But back sometime in the past, they determined that a DUI checkpoint was legal. And some argued that it was infringing upon somebody's rights. You were presuming guilt before innocence. But it was decided that in the area of public safety, it was justified to stop and check people, certain places, certain times, whatever it may be. I don't see where this could be much different. And absolutely, you know, if you train your police force or whoever to ask certain questions of these people hanging around, they are key indicators of whether they're mentally disturbed or not. But, yes, I think they do need to have that kind of training and at least address it. Because people do get nervous, and I'm nervous for my granddaughters, just like, you know, other people concerned about their family members. And I do think that somewhere along the line, they have to allocate something for this kind of training to sort out who's a professional homeless and who is really mentally ill and needs help. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the call. I mean, isn't that a a win for everybody? I mean, if you're the average member of a community, and you want to go to the grocery store, go to the shopping mall, go to the ball game and not feel threatened or intimidated or, or at risk. I mean, and, and you know somebody's mentally ill, or we suspect them to be mentally ill. Don't the majority of us, I mean, okay, Rev, you and I go to the grocery store, and there's a mentally ill man, and it makes us real nervous. I mean, we don't want him thrown to the trash. We want him no, to get help. I mean, we want him to go get help. We want him to be, I mean, I know how, how long. I mean, institutionalized is kind of a, um, that's kind of a terminal word. You know, I don't want to be institutionalized. You get in there, you will never be able to get out. I get that. I understand the concern there. Um, the, you know, the, the addict, the person who, for whatever reason, became addicted to cocaine or opiates or, or heroin, whatever, whatever the addiction is. I mean, it's not like you want that person to be, you know, killed and put in a, in a you know, in an incinerator somewhere. I mean, once again, you can't be inhumane about this, but but in a perfect world, you know what we'd want? We'd want some sort of government agency to identify the homeless that are mentally ill and get them help, addicted to get them help, and, and professionally homeless, convince them this is not the place for you to be. You got to move on down the road, mosey on down the road, sir. You're not mentally ill. You're not an addict. You're just lazy. You, you figured out a way to take advantage of hardworking people, and you're not going to do it in our town anymore. I mean, is that, I mean, I understand it's complicated. It's not as easy as a radio show host, especially a former politician in a soundbite. I get it. But what are we doing heading that direction? I mean, can somebody call in this morning and say, hey, here's what we're doing when we find a homeless person that we believe may be a threat or menace to society. We're evaluating whether they're mentally ill. We're evaluating whether they're an addict. We're evaluating whether they're just sorry and no count. And here's what we do if we find determine them to be sorry and no count. Here's what we do if we determine uh, them to be mentally ill. Here's what we do if we decide uh, that person to be an addict or not. Um, I, I don't think anybody listening to my voice wants to throw anybody in the trash. I don't want to throw anybody in the trash. But I can tell you this, the deadbeat homeless, I would rather be a deadbeat homeless in, in some other community. 
And what is it worth? I mean, I can understand the fiscal conservatives saying, here we go with more government money, another government program. Well, I mean, what is it worth to stop a mentally ill homeless person from walking into a convenience store or a restaurant or a big box retailer and killing 8, 10, 12, 15, 20? We'll never stop it from happening, but we can certainly make it less likely. And I think this is a good topic to consider and kind of advancing and putting local elected officials on the spot. What uh, What is the plan to address the more common practice of vagrancy and homelessness, chronic homelessness in our community? 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Charles and Florence, good morning. Morning, guys. Um, I've been running truck stops for 25, almost 30 years, actually, in a combination of, I've been in Camden, Columbia, Florence, Manning, and I have seen every single type of, uh, whether they're homeless, not homeless, because some people have a home. We have a gentleman down where I'm at that has a home, and but he has some mental issues, and unfortunately we'll have to have him arrested they'll let him out the next morning or later and he walks right back to the truck stop but i guess the bigger point is what this with this gentleman actually the magistrate said there's a phone number for a crisis center and but it's up for the person who has the issues to call the crisis center so this magistrate asked me to call the crisis number and said if the public calls enough then they may do something. And, you know, and just real quick, one of my own personal thoughts was Governor Beasley used to stop by the place I was at on a regular basis. And one time he had come back from overseas for his money-making trips, you know, to help fight worldwide hunger, which is a noble goal. But, you know, if something like old Walmarts could be somehow turned into homeless shelters, because our homeless shelters are extremely hard to get into, and they they don't feel safe there, and I gave up trying to get them into those places. So that's a little bit of rambling from from my end, but I have seen um, all that, and there's just no nothing that's really strong out there to help people. All right, Thank thanks a lot. Guys. Appreciate it. Okay, let, let's do this. I mean, this is a worthwhile endeavor. I mean, hardly ever do we do anything worthwhile on Wake Up Carolina. <laughs> let's do something worthwhile. Let's try to engage our elected officials at the local and state level and find out if we can assemble a plan. I mean, this is not confrontational. This is not partisan. I would imagine some folks will have different opinions from other people, but but we have a legitimate concern. I think we've had enough calls this morning. We have a legitimate concern in our community about the the, the, the more common practice of encountering homeless people and being concerned about what their motivations are. Once again, you've got a mental illness issue. You've got an addiction issue. You, you've got just a deadbeat issue. What are we doing to address kind of that um that trifecta? Are we doing anything? Is there any money allocated at the local level to address homelessness? If not, then how do we begin uh, formulating and funding a program that will address this? So 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 the lady that Elaine who called first thing this morning and talked about a senior center that has homeless people sleeping. Nearly, she said, yards or feet from, you know, elderly senior women who would be very easy targets of being taken advantage of, you know, some sort of um, violent act committed against an older person. We, we can't have that opportunity that readily available. We've got to address that. 
in some way, shape, or form. I'm personally tired of being nervous about my daughter or wife going to a store late in the afternoon or evening for fear of someone wearing a hoodie and a backpack motivated by something other than making sure they get to the store safely. That has to be addressed in some way, shape, or form. That is a quality of life issue. Certainly our local officials care about quality of life. So if we're building libraries and museums and performing arts centers, certainly we can find um, some sort of funding within to provide access to, to, to a program that law enforcement can involve itself in. And once again, Rev, I mean, I don't know the perfect outcome is, but, but let's take people who are addicted and get them in treatment centers. Let, let's take people who are mentally ill and get them in certain institutions that can allow them to get the help that they need and deserve. But if you're just a freeloading panhandler, find somewhere else to freeload and panhandle. This is not friendly territory. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. We had a random call this morning. I mean, I'd prepared to talk about Trump and DeSantis and Nikki Haley and the social contract and Davos, but we had a call this morning that hits close to home about the issue we have with homelessness. And we've kind of, uh, for two hours, discussed that issue in a lot of different sorts of ways. Um, I mean, I believe this. I mean, as a conservative Republican, I believe we've underinvested in mental health care. How, by how much? I don't have any idea. Um, what should we do differently? Don't have any idea. But I'm looking at that through a human rights lens. Does a mentally ill man or woman have a right to receive treatment? I mean, we talk about health care being a right. Correct, Rev? I mean, didn't have the debate about Obamacare? Oh, yeah. I mean, we lost that debate. I mean, those of us who believe right. that health care is a privilege, health insurance is a privilege, you have a, um, a responsibility to provide it for yourself. The Democrats said, no, it's a human right. It's a basic, fundamental human right. Is health care for the mentally ill the same sort of human right? And have we underinvested um let me ask you another question before we well, let's go to the phone, then we'll come back and I'll um, I'll ponder a bit longer. Here is Slade in Florence. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. Mr. Ken, I was wanting to talk to you about Mr. Lynn, who um is trying to help himself out of poverty. I know him personally because my wife actually had him craft a um Morgan my thirteen inch ring from a Morgan dollar. And his craftsmanship is really good. He just needs help. And he tries to help himself. I was wondering if we could actually get together and maybe do a proposition for him, call Miss Tracy at the Florence Flea Market, and see if we couldn't rent him a spot. Uh, the thing was, he would have to pay you back. But, as I say, he's trying to help himself. Thank you, sir. Appreciate I, that. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine there are a lot of people out there who are struggling with addiction, who are trying to help themselves, uh, mentally ill, trying to help themselves. Uh, I guess the question is, can they? I mean, if, if, if Mr. Lynn, who called earlier and said that um, he's clean and sober, I mean, that, that, to me, that's the biggest step. To um, If you're an addict, you're always an addict. You're an addict for life. But, um, but you're a clean addict. You're sober for X number of days, X number of weeks, X, X number of months and years. Um, I'm talking about society in general. I mean, if we've got a homeless problem in Florence, South Carolina, and, and many of us believe we do, what is the root of that homelessness? I mean, why do we have um, chronic homelessness? Uh, why is it prevalent? Why is it 
um, happening at a higher rate than it ever has before. What are we doing about it? I mean, are, are there certain policies or programs that we're implementing that have anything to do with keeping the community safe or maintaining um, their human dignity? Who deserves to have their hu- uh, human dignity maintained? I, I don't know the answer to that question. Are we working on these in any way, shape, or form? It's kind of the um, the best question I think we're asking. Is the county, city, and state government allocating any resources, whether it's um, financial or, or, or human capital, to, to that reality? Do, 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 here's a better question. You ready? Let's go back a half step further. Do they believe it's a problem? Does city and county government believe we have a problem with vagrancy or homelessness or, you know, um, once again, the threatening or intimidating person who walks through a parking lot, you know, in a big box retailer restaurant with a backpack and a hoodie? I mean, that, that's a little bit scary. I mean, it, it's, it, Rev said it before. He's, uh, yeah, it makes me nervous. Mm-hmm. You know, when you encounter, when you have those sorts of encounters, um, and, and we believe, via, via some research that I've done, and I guess going back to the addiction world, my son being an addict um, kind of led me down exploring more and more and more about understanding that world. So you've got mental illness, you've got addiction, and you've just got lazy and no count. And I think they deserve to be treated differently. But but do we have a plan to address the problem that we believe we have in our local community? Is the city, If you went to the members of city council and say, hey, do we have a problem with homelessness in our community and if they say yes, what is our intent to address it? What are we doing to manage, to, to minimize, to make it less of a problem? Same thing with county government, because some of these areas are in the incorporated areas of the city. Some are in the county. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Daphne and Dylan, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Ken, in my opinion, and this is from a life's experience that I have lived and am still living, uh, politicians always want to throw money at a problem. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a, a scenario that has happened here. We have at least 12 housing projects funded by the government where three-quarters of the people living there pay no rent, no utilities, and get other welfare benefits. Also, that wasn't enough. So general contractors got government money, go into a slum area, remodel the houses. They get money to buy the property. They get money to remodel the property. Then they get money from housing authority in the amount of eight to $900 a month. And within a year, that same area is just a slum area again. So, and the mental illness thing, I had an experience with one of my tenants that I was not allowed to refuse or get a background check on his mental problems that was sent to the state uh, mental institution, kept for 30 days because he pulled his pants down in front of older ladies and whatnot. They gave him a six, they kept him 30 days, 45 days, excuse me. They kept him 45 days, released him, and gave him a $600 check. And then it took me 45 days to 
get him away from my older women who he was practicing pulling down his pants again. So, Daphne, what needs to happen with that person? In your in your opinion, the, the, the person who was diagnosed as mentally ill, they sent him away for a little bit of time, sent him back to you with money. What what do you think needs to happen to that person that, that, that we, we've deemed mentally ill? That same person attempted to rape an older woman and was sent to jail for five years. After he did all that, he was finally put in jail for trying to rape an 80-year-old woman. So was he mentally ill or criminal? He was criminal and mentally ill because he had a family. He had a family who would not intervene and try and help him. Used to, in the days that I was raised in, a family tried to help a family member who was suffering from bad problems like that. But now the government takes over and just gives them a check and lets them back out on the street. Okay? Thank you, Daphne. Appreciate that. And I'm not arguing that, that everybody who does something stupid is mentally ill. I'm not arguing. Mean, all rapists aren't mentally ill. All murderers aren't mentally ill. All, um, all vagrants aren't mentally ill. Uh, I'm getting a text here from somebody in the community that says the reason that we're getting a kind of a um, an influx of homeless people if we've demonstrated a willingness to do more for homeless than anybody else. Uh, that makes sense to me. I mean, if I'm someone homeless by choice, I'm going to go where they seem to take better care of the homeless than uh, where they seem to not. Here's what I want to happen, guys. I want to, I mean, if we admit, and I think we've admitted in the last two hours and 14 minutes that we've got a problem. It, it may not be rampant, but it's pretty common for you to encounter homeless people in your daily lives. We don't know if those homeless are addicts. We don't know if they're mentally ill. We don't know if they're deadbeats. What are we doing to identify whether they're deadbeats, whether they're addicts, whether they're they're mentally ill? Don't we as the public deserve to know that? I mean, don't, don't those sorts of diagnoses need to be made? Uh, boots on the ground, so to speak, law enforcement, government agencies, and I'm as conservative as they come. But, I mean, we can't have a private police force running around Florence, you know, diagnosing somebody as mentally ill or not. But we know we have more homeless than we've ever had. Correct? I mean, we have more people wandering the streets Seems that don't that appear to have anywhere to sleep at night than we've ever had. What is the community leadership? What is city and county council? What is law enforcement? What is happening as we interact with those people day by day by day? I don't know what it costs to care for the mentally ill. But, but let's, let's for a second go down the road of a mentally ill person gaining control of a weapon, walking into a restaurant, killing eight or ten people. And then after the fact, I mean, how many times have we heard that? Greg Abbott said in Texas, pretty conservative governor in Texas, he asked for an increase in funding to mentally ill or to, to mental Ill, illness treatment, and he got declined. I mean, the Republican legislature basically said what Republicans normally say, money's not the problem. I'm not arguing money's the problem, but we have a problem. And the problem is we have a lot of homeless people interacting with us in our daily lives, and we don't know if they're mentally ill, if they're addicts, or if they're just deadbeats. And I think we've got to address that in a meaningful fashion, and government is the only agency I know equipped to do that. Let's go to the phone. John and Florence, hi, you're on the air. Hey, uh, I just drove by the uh, old Bilo on Palmetto Street, which is now the offices of the Florence Housing Authority, uh, at a great deal of our expense, I'm sure, 
a lot of cars in the parking lot. What are they doing to address this issue? I mean, I know we spent a lot of money on it, apparently. Are they doing anything? Are they responsible for any of this? Well, see, those are the sorts of interviews we need to have. I mean, we need to have whomever is in charge of this. I mean, Rev asked me a second ago, okay, Mr. Former Politician, Mr. Former Lieutenant Governor and um, County Council Member, I mean, if you were in government, what would you do? I would want to know what are we doing to address the concern that people have today. And, and if, what I, if what we're doing is not effective, if it's not dealing with the problem, then let's get together with law enforcement. Let's come up with another plan. And my, my main concern, Rev, is, I mean, all three are homeless, that they could be equally as dangerous or not. But you've got to deal with the mentally ill different. You've got to deal with the addict different than you deal with just the deadbeat. The deadbeat that bums off the system needs to find somewhere else to bum off the system. That's just the way it is. If I'm in charge, now I'm not in charge. And there are probably a lot of people that don't feel the way I feel. But they want to be kinder and more sympathetic. I don't. I mean, if you're homeless by choice, if you're of working age, of working health, and you can go out and earn an income, being homeless is your fault. If you're an addict, that's a different set of circumstances. If you're mentally ill, that's a different set of challenges. I, as a conservative Republican, am willing to look at addicts differently than I do deadbeats. I'm willing to look at mentally ill people differently than I do deadbeats. But I would strongly encourage deadbeats to find another place to be a deadbeat. Let's go to the phone. Here's Terry in Lake City. Good morning, Terry. Hey, good morning, guys. I just, just got in my truck uh, and, and getting bits and pieces of this. I agree. When it comes to the addiction part of it, I, and and I had some some dealings in my family and lost a brother to it. And I tell you, if crying, if praying, and I know prayer's got a lot of power, but if my family and friends could have any way impossible made my brother a better or got over his addiction, it would have happened. But the problem was it never got to a point where he wanted to, to, to do better. It's like the, the drugs had more power over him than the family. And that, I, I, I don't know what, what's going to be able to, to take care of that part of it. Again, when it comes to the mental illness, that needs to be treated for sure. But when it comes to the homeless, they choose, a lot of them choose to be able You can give them a million dollars and they still, if they wanted to, there's nothing you can make them change to go live in a shelter somewhere. Some of them just choose to be that way. And until you make it uncomfortable for them, they're, they're not going not gonna to change. Sometimes you got to change for them. And uh, thank you, Ken. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that call. And I think we made a pretty good argument about, you know, the, the way we would try to, I mean, like I said, Rev asked me, what would you do? That's what I'd do. I mean, I would meet with city and county leadership, and I'd find out what we're doing about it today. And, and then when they say, well, we're building homeless shelters, I don't want to hear that. I, I, that's not the answer I want. What are we doing to address the mentally ill? What are we doing to, to address the addiction? What are we doing to address the deadbeats? I've got no problem w- with an addict staying in a homeless shelter or somebody mentally, mentally ill staying in a homeless shelter. But is that the end of the road? I mean, did we open that homeless shelter every night and allow that mentally ill person to come get a meal and sleep and then wake up the next day and throw him back on the street again? Are we treating that person? Are we reasonably caring for that person? Same thing with addiction. Do, do we let the addict, you know, beg for money, bum for money all day, shoot up, snort up, whatever it is addicts do, whatever the drug of, of choice or the drug of addiction is, and then they go to a homeless shelter, they get a meal, and the next morning they go back out on the street and, and remain an addict? No, I want to I try to treat the addict. 
I mean, let, let's find professional, capable people who have a history of, you know, helping people redeem themselves, rehabilitating themselves. Same thing with mental illness. Rev asked a very interesting question, and this is far above my pay grade. What if somebody's terminally mentally ill? I mean, what, what if there's some sort of problem mentally with a person that there is no way to be redeemed? There is no way to be healed. There is no way um, to, to allow that person to function in mainstream society. I don't have any idea. I mean, we have mental institutions. I mean, you've heard of Bull Street. I've heard of Bull Street. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we were so politically incorrect back in the day, we called it the crazy house. I mean, literally, not, not to impugn, not to, um, you know, disparage anybody. That was just the, the verbiage of the time, so to speak. But, um, but, but if I were a person with some sort of authority, those would be the questions that I would have. When, when the homeless come to the homeless shelter at dark and seek of a meal, do we distinguish why they're there? Are they there because they're just sorry and no count? Are they there because they're an addict? Are they there because they're mentally ill? If they're mentally ill, an addict, and, okay, we give everybody something to eat, but, but what do we send them from there? We're not, we're not in the rehab business if we aren't. We're simply in the, um, in the perpetuating forever business. Is this problem um, never going away and becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger problem? Let's go to the phone, and then we'll take a break. Barry in Sherall. Hey, Barry. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Ken, uh, Florence needs to be careful because this is how Portland started. Same con- same thing. You know, they're, they're way bigger, but they started inviting homeless, saying that they would pay them, give them free, and then what everybody in America did that had homeless problems would buy, cities would buy one-way tickets, either on bus, train, or plane, Send them to Portland, and now it's it's unbelievable. It's done. Portland's done. So you had Seattle to California, and Portland was the halfway point. Well, Florence is the halfway point between Miami and New York, correct? So Florence better get it together and put some ordinance in place, or you will see it turn into just unreal because of 95. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. See, that's that's the wild card in all this. Um, one of the advantages of being in Florence is what the convergence of two major interstates. One of the disadvantages would come to homeless and transients and vagrancy and, and I guess the, um, the, the, the gypsy lifestyle is we live in a place very easy to transition in and out of. I mean, it's the interstates. Mike Nunn talked last week about the amount of drug traffic and prostitution that happens out on the quote-unquote interstate. I mean, that leads to a, a more abundant, homeless population what are we doing about it is my question how are we segregating or separating the mentally ill the addicted and just the no count take a break back in a minute so is it accurate to say there's some homeless who are both addicted and mentally ill there's some homeless who are neither addicted or mentally ill and there's some homeless who are addicted but not mentally ill some homeless who are mentally ill but not addicted the common denominator is homelessness right I mean, there's yeah, an element in, in our community now, the majority of us believe we are in contact with too many homeless people. Well, let me back up. We're in, more, we're, in, we're in contact with more homeless people than we normally have been. Is that fair to say? I mean, you're kind of shaking your head. Yeah, you, yeah. That's, I think that's what started this whole conversation that, this morning. That's and, an and, accurate picture. And, and people, uh, there are a lot of callers have agreed with the situation. And I think it's absolutely where there's a lot more of that going on. Okay. The homeless person is living to fight another day. The, the addict is living to get his next fix, 
right? I mean, if he's not in a rehab center somewhere getting better, he's living to get his next fix. I mean, when he comes up to you at the grocery store and says, hey, do you have 20 bucks? My kid's, you know, uh, broke down in Chiral. You know his kid's not broke down in Chiral. You're not a moron. He wants something to either get something to eat or something to get him high. The mentally ill is over here, and I asked Rev during the break, so what motivates the mentally ill? What uh, severity of mentally illness? You know, how, how severely mentally ill is that person? How challenged are they? How um, out of sorts are they? Don't know. I don't have any idea. But, but I think the common denominator is homelessness. And, and we're not arguing that every homeless person is a deadbeat. We're not arguing that every homeless person is an addict. We're not arguing that every person, every homeless person is mentally ill. Here's my argument. You know what? We don't know. We don't have any idea. And, and does leadership have a responsibility to a community via the social contract of governance and making sure that we do know more about the homeless population than we do know today? Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hello, David. Hey, good morning. Hey, Ken, I'll add this to this. You said the hoodie and the backpack. I'll add the hat, the mask, and the shades on. And then you add the bicycle to it. Um, I'm talking about the last gentleman talked about uh, we got an interstate here, uh, uh, right off the interstate. There's 20 motels, and good Lord, there's got to be at least 20 more um, restaurants. And I work out there, so I can tell you a lot of the people that we're talking about, I call them transient, uh, they they understand there's an affluent I-95 liberal do-gooder that gets off the interstate every day. That's part of what they're trying to do. Um, another thing that they're doing, all oh, this is within walking distance. So there's a housekeeper out there that, hmm, they didn't lock that door. They left that door open, so there's doors open out there. Uh, there's items in the back of pickup trucks. There's pizza boxes left outside of rooms with uh, slices left over. There's, man, I can steal a license tag. That's where the backpack comes in. Um, I mean, you can go and blend in and the, the continental breakfast, you can blend into that. Um, and I hate to say this, I've witnessed this. There's people out there trying to take that last puff of these cigarettes. People throw the cigarettes out. Uh, it's a sad situation in a way, but the question is, how do you take the homeless to the homeful? And a lot of these people, regardless of mental illness or whatever, it's tough to get a home these days. Think about it. You have to have a paycheck stub. You have to have a down payment. You have the credit scores and this and that. And this is a great question for some of these people to try to get these people. Cause I've witnessed these, I've talked to them. A lot of them aren't really that, some of them are mentally ill, for real, but but some of them are. Uh, so the transition, the transition to get them from homeless to homeful, that's the main question we need to ask, and I'll leave you at that. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. I went on the website of the Mayo Clinic during the last break because I think it's get. I mean, get, I don't know how to define mental illness. I mean, I really and truly don't. I mean, in some ca- extreme cases, it's obvious. I mean, it's obvious there's something wrong with that person. Um, you, you don't insult the person, but, but you're, 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 I don't want to say you're nervous about the person, right? But you're aware, you're aware that that person over there, I mean, th- there's something pretty severe wrong with that person. They need help. But the Mayo Clinic says mental illness, also called mental health disorders, refers to a wide range of mental health conditions, disorders that affect your mood, thinking, and behavior. Examples of mental illness include depression, anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, eating disorders, 
and addictive behaviors. Many people have mental health concerns from time to time, but a mental health concern becomes a mental illness when ongoing signs and symptoms cause frequent stress and affect your ability to function. A mental illness can make you miserable. It can cause problems in your daily life, such as a school or relationship. Uh, In most cases, symptoms can be managed by a combination of medications and psychotherapy. Okay, nothing about that surprises me. Why are we not addressing the issue of mental illness in America today? I mean, you, you can say we, we slash funding, we close institutions down. Why? I mean, if, 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 if the homeless population in America has exploded, how much has mental illness contributed to that explosion of homeless population? Because I think all of us have a, a, a kind of a sympathetic nerve toward a mentally ill person whose life is for whatever reason. I mean, I don't, the, the degree and severity of a mental illness would be a big contributor to this. Um, I mean, we, we know this. You, you want me to be real country for a second? People play crazy all the time. I mean, th- there's no doubt about that. People play crazy all the time, but some people do have mental illness, and they're dealing with very, very stressful, me- you know, I mean, th- th- there are mentally ill people amongst us that need help. Uh, we're, we're, we appear to not be doing very much to to help these mentally ill people. Let's go to the phone. Here's Jamie. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Ken. I, you know, I agree with one of your last callers. Um, the more comfortable we make it in this area, the more influx we're going to have of this style of um, problem. Um, I, and I've reached out to see if I could help Lynn. Uh, if, he, if he's an artist, you know, I have friends that have art galleries that would um, be more than willing to put his things in a shop as long as they're willing to help themselves. Um, I'm all for it, but this is going to sound horrible, and I know I know what kind of reaction I might get from this, but we ought to do what um, Governor Abbott does. Let's put them on a bus and send them out to Seattle or L.A. That's where they take care of these. They don't take care of them. They allow these people. But, but Jim, see, but Jim, you're missing the bus. I think we're doing that here. I mean, I, th- I, think, we're, I think we are ah, less aggressively managing the homeless problem in Florence County than we should, should in the city of Florence. We talk about Democrat-run cities. You, mean, you know how many Republicans are in local government in the city of Florence? Not many. One. That would be one. I mean, I'm not blaming yeah. the Democrats for homelessness in Florence County, but but what is Democrat, thank Jam, appreciate it, what is the Democrat leadership, because it's a dominant Democrat party, I mean, the Democrats hold every office in our city government except one member of council, what are the Democrats doing to address the chronic homelessness in our community? Are they encouraging and condoning, or are they trying to find places for people to go that have mental illness issues or addiction issues or we just kind of um you know uh wash rinse wash again wash rinse wash again wash rinse repeat i think is the way it's written on the uh the shampoo bottle but but you know what what and i'm calling out city leadership i mean forgive me i'm calling out city leadership what is your plan to address homelessness in our community our community does not always feel safe in relation to homelessness We've got mentally ill, addicted, and deadbeats. What is the city government doing to make sure the people who live in Florence feel safe or safer in regards to homelessness? 843-661037. Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence. Hello, Jeff. Hey, good morning. Hey, Jeff. Uh, you know, this is a, this is an age-old topic. Um, 
you know, if you go back and look in the 1980s, you'll see um, news reports, you can see articles written about mental health. Um, Reagan, uh, you know, back in the, the welfare queen, you know, the, um, the, the culture wars that were going on in the 80s, they talked about homelessness and people grifting off the system and, and, and basically emptying the asylums, you know, the government-run um, mental health institutions were really gutted way back in the 80s. Not, not Republican, not Democrat. It was just one of those balance of budget things. But, you know, you talk about how you address this situation. And, you know, great societies, how do you define what a great society is? One of the rules or metrics is how do you take care of your least fortunate? And there's a cost to pay uh, for mental health and for homelessness. Whether we like to admit it or not, we spend a ton of money on this. I mean, our tax dollars go to this every day. You know that, right? Of course I do. Yeah. And and so you can you can be proactive or you can, you know, try and fight the disease or the problem, or you can just manage it. And sadly, we're in a manage it situation. We don't try and, and, and get out there and fix the issues. Um, not all not all issues are going to be fixed, as you alluded to. That's true. You can't solve this, but you can help. Um, I, I don't know if, if, if people are aware of, of, but this is not a new problem. It does spike when poverty levels rise. I mean, if you look at the the poverty level and homeless level and crime level, you see they're all tied together. And so, sadly, I think when we get into a situation where people feel and they can't get ahead or the American dream is unattainable, crime, homelessness, mental health all suffer and rise. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate that. And I'll add, I mean, Jeff and I probably don't disagree much on this. I'll add what Big Pharma has done in lobbying government to mainstream or allow more and more and more prescribed medication to be available. Um, he's right. I mean, you can really go back. The, de- the deinstitutionalization of the mentally ill kind of goes back to the 60s. Uh, somebody sent me, a lawyer sent me something a second ago. The O'Connor Donaldson case was one that kind of made it real complicated. Um, Reagan was one of these, um, you know, free market capitalist and and conservative in nature and, and didn't believe that Rev had a right to say Ken needs to go to an institution because he's mentally ill. I get that. I mean, it's a complex debate. That's probably why Jeff and I can't agree because he doesn't know exactly where he stands and I don't know exactly where, where I stand here. And I do believe that Big Pharma and, and the availability of prescription drug because of the um, profit associated is a contributor to so many people being hooked on opiates and, and prescribed medications. Um, that leads to financial turmoil, which could eventually lead uh, to homelessness. It's a complicated issue, but it's an issue that government must deal with. I can't deal with it as a radio show host. I mean, you can't deal with it as a welder or a lawyer or a construction worker or a, you know, a taxidermist or a, you know, I mean, no matter what you're doing, what, your walk of life. I mean, it doesn't consist of you, uh, you know, solving the homelessness problem in the community you call home, but it's got to be addressed in some way, somehow. And um, and once again, I think the reason Jeff and I didn't disagree 
is because his belief is a bit ambiguous as mine is. Take a break. Back in just a few minutes. Takes Mondays to make Fridays 843-661-0937. Rev and I were having a debate. Thank you to Elaine, I think was her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Elaine Bettis from Seinfeld, but Elaine, <laughs> who said she's um far less conservative than I am. In fact, um, I think she called back and told Rifkin, would think I'm a communist, but she expressed her concern about a um, a senior home and the number of homeless people sleeping in close proximity to the senior home. And that has led to a three-hour and six-minute conversation about what Florence is doing in regards to that. Once again, this has been a little bit Florence exclusive. Sorry for that Sumter and Orangeburg. But, um, but I, I, and I don't know if you've got the same problems over there. Um, I got to believe that they're probably somewhat similar in Sumter and Orangeburg as they are uh, in Florence. And I don't know about the cause of that. I asked Rev during the break. I said, Rev, is this a debate about limited government or not? Because somebody called in and said, I'm applying the same standards that the liberals apply to guns. And I don't believe that. I don't quite buy into that. I mean, I get the I mean, fact. I guess you could argue what is the role of government, the well, very sure. basic argument there. But, and should it, should the government be involved in mental health treatment and things like that? I mean, let me ask you a question. Do we believe there's a mental illness? Do we believe there are mentally ill people in America today? course okay if, if if government is not there to uh, to intervene who does uh the family the church um the best friend the mom the dad i'm gonna get that but but in a, in a perfect world we don't need government for anything uh what was it john adams said if men were angels you wouldn't need a government anyway you wouldn't need laws and rules and and regulations men aren't angels by by their nature there's a kind of a sin nature there's a selfish nature there's a um you take care of yours and i'll take care of mine nature the the point i'm trying to raise is if we have more if you and i are interacting with more homeless people than ever before i think i am i think you believe you are who are they or are they dangerous how many are deadbeats um as charles said shifting uh changing shifts you know, uh, panhandling I mean, it's a, it's and for money. Apparently. Yeah, sure it is. And those folks probably aren't homeless. I mean, if you chase the or trace the tag back, it's probably an apartment, a condo, or home, uh, as nice as the majority of people listening to my voice. But but you got to accept that there is another element out there living in the woods, at times living amongst us, that have some pretty serious mental issues. And and those people need help. And, and I, that, that's the point I've tried to make for three hours this morning, and the majority of you have agreed. Um, and it's not, a, I mean, it's, it's probably the primary reason that Jeff and I couldn't disagree, because you don't know how much I like disagreeing with Jeff. And I think he's <laughs> equally as passionate about disagreeing with me, but I don't know the answer here. I mean, it's extremely complicated. I think the questions are obvious to our local government. What are you doing to deal with the increasing homeless population in our community? And, and I think the public deserves to know the answers to those questions. It may be nothing. I mean, it may be um, that the guy on the radio makes up things all the time. We don't have a problem with homeless people in, uh, in Florence County or in the city of Florence. I think we do. So let's have that, you know, conversation. And if we determine that, that as I believe, we're interacting with homeless people more than we ever have, then, then what are we doing to address it? Or have we become a safe haven for homeless people? I had three people text me this morning saying, follow the money. I mean, that's what you tell us, follow the money. Why are there more homeless people in Florence that, than other areas in our state? I mean, if there is. Now, now, the caller said Myrtle Beach has a lot more. That would stand to reason. 
I mean, Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach is a bigger area. I mean, it's a, a vastly more populated area. I mean, it's 48 new people per day moving to, uh, to Horry County. So you would expect there to be a, um, I don't want to say a high proportionality, but more of that, um, to happen down there. Uh, but, but, but when, and I'll, I'll put a bow on this, but I mean, that, that's kind of the point I try to make. You, you've got a common denominator of homelessness. You've got some who are deadbeats, some who are addicts, some who are mentally ill. Surely we're not treating all the homeless people as the same. I mean, are we segregating? And if we are, how are we doing it? How are we identifying mentally ill homeless people and trying to get them to places that they can receive the care and help they deserve? What are we doing about the addict? I mean, how are we identifying this person as an addict? Um, what, what are we doing to help them get to a place of, um, of redeeming themselves or rehabilitating themselves? And, um, and to me, if I were uh, in local government, dealing with a deadbeat homeless would be pretty easy. I just tell them to find another place to be deadbeats. I would pass a law tomorrow if I were in charge that made panhandling illegal, period. There will be no panhandling in the entire county. Period. End of sentence. Um, you can't do that for federal court cases. Well, somebody would sue us. But if I were a member of county council, I would effective immediately. No more panhandling or begging in Florence County. Let's go to the phone. Here is CB in Florence. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, Ken. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Good. I've listened to you for quite a while. I am conservative, but you're on a topic today that I kind of deal with and have for about 11 years. Um, the gentleman that called earlier uh, about making donations to panhandlers, and now he no longer does. Uh, first thing I'd like to say, anyone that's got doubts about a local organization, first thing in the state of South Carolina, they're supposed to be registered with the Secretary of State. You can look them up. You can find their financials. You'll know if they're legit or they're not legit. Uh, one of my biggest cautions are these new agencies that come along, and they claim they're going to do everything. Now, my agency, I'm founder and director. I won't call the name, but I work with veterans. Call the name, CB, because I, I know who you are. Call the name. It's reputable. I don't mind you doing that a veterans bit in the world. Veterans Resource Center of Florence. Correct. We donate our time. We've been doing this 11 years. Um, I leave my office every day and I go home to a wife with dementia, but I got a, a passion for veterans. We work entirely on local donations. So my comment to the gentleman who no longer wants to make donations other than his church, if my local donors quit donating, I'd have to lock the door and go home. Uh, and we do, we, we don't work with a potload of veterans. But the ones we work with, we see it making a difference. And at Christmas time, I invited them in for gift cards and so forth. And I had some conversations, and several of them, I mean, back on their feet, doing wonderful. One lady even now has a diamond on her finger and, and just moving forward. That doesn't happen in every case, but those good ones make up for the bad ones. Um, and like I say, come back to the Secretary of State. I attended a groundbreaking for a veterans organization. I won't say what town last week. They're putting up a building. They claim to do everything. They're going to house homeless. And they uh, are, their registration with the secretary of state is expired. My first thing is they claim to do everything. Nobody can do that. It's impossible. I don't care what grants you get, what local donation. You can't do everything. 
And my second thing was I looked them up on the Secretary of State before going uh, to their groundbreaking, and it's expired, and I emailed Secretary of State. They've not turned in financial statements in over a year. Uh, the next thing, if you look on their website, which is a beautiful website, anybody can create one, uh, millions of dollars. Uh, apparently their director is paying himself uh, $140,000 a year, and they've only been there a year and a half. And I had only slightly heard of them in, in the past. Uh, but their financial statement with the Secretary of State is in uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia. Now I'm kind of giving away the title. <laughs> but anyway, uh, to me, are they legit? I don't know, but there's a lot of funny-looking things there. Um Panhandlers. No, I don't give the panhandlers. There's a local grocery store whose home office is in North Carolina. They allow a group to set up in front of their grocery store off and on. They take donations here. Look them up. Their donations go back to Wilmington, North Carolina. They panhandle all along the eastern coast here to carry that money back home. We we got folks right here that can use that money. Uh, also, some of the bigger, uh, longer agencies that have been here for a long time, they do have a governmental website, and folks that come in, they are listed on that website. So they know who these repeats are, and they know how many times they come in. Uh, granted, a lot of them are repeats because they just can't improve their situation. Uh, a lot of it is the way they're, they're brought up. Uh, you know, education would help with that, and like one of our local senator says let's teach them how to work and get them back productive in our community then the situation will change yeah that's something our state could probably work on and maybe our city too there is a mayor's coalition for homeless if people don't know that uh check into what you have in your community and these agencies who are legit should be listed with secretary of state then there would be no doubt in your mind who you want to donate to or who you don't want to donate to. And, Ken, I probably said enough. No, that's well explained. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Appreciate you doing all the work you do. And I'm not discouraging anybody from being charitable. Please understand, I just don't think a community needs to be nervous about people walking up on them in a parking lot of a, of a grocery store or a, you know, a, um, a, a rail trail or a walk trail. I'm sorry. You know, some of these places that people like to uh, jog and walk and, and have recreational time. Um, had someone send me a text uh, probably an hour or so ago. I won't read it verbatim. It was very colorful. But something they saw in the homeless community that surprised them. He was with his daughter. And it was not appropriate for his daughter to be seeing. Um, all homeless people are not created equally. That There are some homeless people, and I think CB said something very interesting um, if you, if you have a charitable heart and, and many of us do give to a charity that, you know, will take the money and, and not do something other than what they say they're going to do. Do a little research on your end, F find what over overhead is. Um, I mean, 96% of the money goes to the cause. That's a lot better than 74% of the money going to a cause. How much overhead, how much management, how much administration, what sort of salaries are being paid? What other sorts of things? Are they involved in? But, but the point I'm trying to make is safety. And I think quality of life is, is kind of hinges upon safety. How safe and the government does the does community have a role feel? Sure they making do. making sure the citizens you, are you, safe. You better believe they do. And I'm going to make it a point this week to get somebody from the city to, to, to answer a question about, does the city believe 
that we have an influx of homeless that that needs to be addressed. Now, they may say, no, we, we, we've checked. We don't have any more problem than they do in similar cities our size. I think they do. The majority of you have expressed that you think we do. So, so if that's the case, is that in um, correspondence or not with what the city believes? And what is the city doing to address that issue? You're not going to do away with homeless. There's always going to be somebody down on their luck. There's going to be an addict looking for the next fix. There's going to be a mentally ill person who's just got their, you know, their, their life in total disarray. I asked Rev during the break, what, what defines mentally ill? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, there's some obvious cases of mental illness. I asked him about the Unabomber. I mean, that would probably be one of the most storied examples of mentally, um, someone who was highly intelligent, um, very capable of being productive in society, and something happened. I mean, something happened to the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, along the way. You know, you always wonder, did Ted Kaczynski always have that bent gene and there was something that was going to set him off sooner or later? Whether it was the, um, I mean, his was got the the the, uh, the manifesto he wrote about, you know, electronics and uh, the computers and technology and all these other sorts of things. Um, but, I mean, was Ted Kaczynski a grenade waiting to happen? I mean, you're getting the psychoanalysis here, and I'm not capable of that. And, and wouldn't try to be, you know, I mean, I just know I'm not trained nor smart enough probably to get into that world, but I've often wondered about Kaczynski. Was something going to set Ted Kaczynski off sooner or later um, that, you know, that led him down that road? Now, now it's, it's horrible what he did. It's horrible, but, but he was not a well man when he did it. You know, Rev, I've always wondered, imagine being the spouse or loved one of someone who's the victim of a gruesome crime but you don't believe it was malice that motivated. You believe it was mental illness. I mean, if you if you listen to, to I mean, Gazinski never demonstrated any willingness to be violent. I mean, there was nothing in his past that showed him to be a violent man. And the next thing you know, he's rationalizing. I mean, he's probably in the top one or two percent in IQ. I mean, his his natural acumen was off the chart. So so a guy that that gets himself to a place that he can legitimize living in a cabin. With, with no power and putting together bombs and putting them in the mail and mailing to business executives because, once again, uh, I mean, that, that get, that, there's something that happens to the human dynamic to allow you to get there. So, so if you are the loved one of, um, of someone who opened one of those bombs, the bomb detonates and kills or, or you know, changes your lives forever, or, or do, do you believe Gazinski acted with malice? and evil or violent, or was he so mentally disturbed? You see where I'm headed? I mean, it's almost like if something like that happened to me, I'd rather him just be a badass. You know what I mean? Because it's easy to be mad with somebody who's just mean and vicious and violent. I mean, I seek revenge and I seek retribution. But somebody like Kaczynski, you get real confused along the way. You've got somebody over here that you love who have both hands blown off. They're alive, but both their hands are blown off. And you see Kaczynski kind of um, methodically work through explaining how he got to where it was he is. Uh, yeah, you're angry about it. Of course you are. But, but you're, are, are you angry at Kaczynski or are you angry that your loved one, their, their life is just, just changed forever? I mean, I, I, that's a complicated matter. And I think mental illness has different degrees of, of severity. Obviously it does. And, you know, can Kaczynski be made well again? I don't have any idea. I, I, but But I mean... He was a, a fairly well man for a long time. But I've always wondered, 
Was he? What was what was was Kaczynski? Was there something inside Kaczynski that was waiting to happen? And once something that ah, I don't know, Rev, maybe was the trigger. Was there a trigger out there somewhere? And all of a sudden, technology and the computer and all these things happened, and and something inside of his warped way of thinking said, "Yeah, now's the time." This is what I've been waiting on. Or was he motivated by evil? I mean, what was no there? No idea, but yeah. he crossed the line. Well, of course evil. he did, without without question. But it's complicated. You would agree to that? Yeah. No, but it, it's real, real complicated. And it turns out he was a threat to well, society. I mean, no, without question. Without a doubt, he was a one of the most legitimate threats to society our country's ever reported on. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. So, Rev, would you agree that Ted Kaczynski became a violent man? Absolutely. You would, would you agree that he was mentally ill? Yes. Would you agree that he was always mentally ill? There was just some trigger that eventually set him off down this path of becoming violent. And see, with that question, you're asking me to get into some things I know nothing well, okay, about. Okay, let, let's do this. Do you think there's a difference in Charles Manson? Uh, do you think Charles Manson's mentally ill? Yes. Okay. Is there a difference in the... The mental illness of Charles Manson and Ted Kaczynski. Well, by the accounts I've heard, they both were intelligent men. Okay. Um, they both did evil things. Okay. I don't. I don't see a very much difference between them at all. So you would put Charles Manson and Ted Kaczynski in the same pod, so to speak. Pretty close. Real smarter than average people who, for whatever reason, had uh, kind of a disassociation from reality. As a result of some mental illness, um, I mean, when well, Kaczynski I mean, lot, put those things in the mail, those bombs, and put the address on the package, and they were going to be delivered, it wasn't to tell the people that received and opened those packages, "Have a nice day." It was to blow their face off. But why didn't Charles Manson do it himself? See, I think Manson played crazy more than Kaczynski did. Kaczynski acted out his compulse. Manson basically told other people to go do these horrific things. Um, to Tate, you know, the murders and, and, and Hollywood, was it, uh, Hollywood Hills? And yeah. uh, nah, darn it. What's the name of the place? I mean, it was not Hollywood Hills. It was, um, it was outside of Burbank. Anyway, um, what, one of these ritzy, you know, where movie stars live. Oh, Beverly Hills? Uh, might've been Beverly Hills. That's uh, another place. But, but anyway, it was, uh, Sharon Tate lived there and she was yeah. a, uh, a movie star. Um, what, what about that mental illness led them to be, um, you know, violent? What what causes that mentally ill person to be violent? And the I mean, you brought up a scenario um, that there there's a mentally ill man in the mall singing to the top of his lungs to himself. Uh, you know what we do when we walk by that person? I mean, all of us do this. Was so that guy's crazy? I mean, he's crazy. It hurt anybody, but he's crazy. Um, but you probably keep an eye on him. Well, I mean, sure by. you would. I mean, I would. I mean, that's just my nature. I would. Being I would like. Oh situational awareness for yourself and and that would probably be you'd probably be smart to do that but it's complicated i mean it gets real 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 complicated, so complicated. but um and i don't have the answers but 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 i want to go back to the point i've tried to make today and i'm going to pledge to our listeners that we're going to try to be a force of good here we're, we're going to find out what the plan is in florence as it relates to homelessness do we have a plan and i'm not talking about build more homeless shelters i mean that's not a good idea I mean, that, that, that is a, I mean, that, that, that is something that is a part of a plan, but that can't be the plan. The plan to address homelessness in Florence County can't be build more homeless shelters. Do you agree with that? 
Right. But it's no, got to be it's got to be build more homeless shelters and identify those who are mentally ill and try to get them help. Identify those who are addicts and try to get them help. Identify those who are just bums and freeloaders and, and get them out of here. I mean, you know, somebody said something earlier about put them on a bus. That's the ones I put on a bus. I don't. I mean, I think my my, my Christian consciousness tells me. That, that I'd feel lousy about myself if I took every homeless person, rounded them up, put the um, the addicts, the mentally ill, and the deadbeats on the same bus and sent them off to somewhere else. I mean, there's something about that I don't like. It just doesn't sound right. I, I get limited government. I get make that somebody else's expense. I get government does too many things now for too many people, and it costs too much money. I mean, I'll, I'll never disagree with that. But but once again, you've got an issue in your community and you don't seem to have a plan on addressing the issue, what can we do about it? Here's here's what I'd ask, and I'll try to find out by tomorrow. How many homeless people do we believe we have in Florence County? I mean, law enforcement could give you some sort of an estimate. I've had law enforcement text me this morning uh, about being over the target. You know, some of the dead beats, you got to get them out of here. You just do. I mean, some of the shift changers, as Charles said, that's the end of that. And I'd love to see Florence County Council pass an ordinance tomorrow saying that is illegal and law enforcement here, here. will deal with you accordingly. It's a lot more complicated when you start down the road of, you know, the mentally ill or the addicted. 843-661-0937. I am a radio show ahead today because a lady called at about 615 this morning and said, I know this at what we were talking about, but I want to tell you about an issue I have. And she had a senior member of her family staying at a uh, assisted living center, uh, and there was a kind of a homeless encampment pretty close by. And she felt that those older people were not safe being in close proximity to these these homeless people who some may be deadbeats, some may be addicts, some may be mentally ill. That's an issue. That's a problem. And, and let's see what we can do um, before somebody commits an act of violence before one of these old people in that assisted living center or, you know, preyed upon by some of these homeless people who may be doing it for, you know, hoping they got a little money in their bank. You know what? I mean, it's motivated by a lot of, a lot of different sorts of things. You know, I read something over the weekend um, and I intended to talk about it today, but we'll save it until tomorrow. Um, We'll elaborate more on this tomorrow. But, um, you know, when you talk about Davos and, and you talk about, you know, what it is, the Davos man and woman, the World Economic Forum, the Klaus Schwab's of the world, the, the Bill Gates of the world, the, uh, the rich and powerful, the, the influential, these who uh, want to control what society does and what its priorities are as we move forward and move ahead. It, it really boils down to a couple of examples of food and fuel. And I'm thinking about food and energy. And Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan, have agreed that they want to host a, a summit in London that's kind of an anti-Davos man and woman summit, and they want to, um, uh, what is that, Ref? Uh, that was uh, Elaine okay. calling back to say thank you. Well, thank you, Elaine. You gave yeah. me a, a day off from, uh, not a day <laughs> off, but now I've got a, I've got a radio show in my you, pocket. You've got so a lot of speak. prep you've done. I've got about this. six or eight stories here that I'd intended to talk about today, and, um, and I mean, I'm not going to let it lay there. I mean, I'm, I'm going to find out today, and I've been texting with people who listen to the show um, that can help and, and want to help. They want to better understand the situation. You know, one of the interesting points of this, I'll go back for a second, 
one of the interesting points of this, there are some people in this community who probably like the fact that we have a, uh, you know, a, a lot of homeless population or a, a high homeless population because their business model, you know, takes care of homeless people and government funding is probably based on how many people come in, in and out of those doors. I don't know that to be true, but, um, but if you're running a government agency and the government agency seems to be overwhelmed, it's a lot easier to ask for more money to fund that government agency um, than if not. And um, so, so, yeah, I mean, we'll continue to explore um, what the questions need to be and what the answers are. The, 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 the question is, what is the county doing? Or in particular, the city. What is the city doing in regards to its homeless population? Are they, are they fine with a homeless population living in fields and farms and, and wooded areas and kind of, you know, every day coming out and about and, and harassing people at convenience stores or, or grocery stores or, you know, threatening or intimidating people who work at certain restaurants in town? I mean, maybe they're fine with that. I'm not, but maybe, maybe they are. Um, if they are, they need to tell us that they're fine with that. And if not, what is the problem? I mean, what is the plan to address the issue? And, um, and the last thing we need is a mentally ill or addicted homeless person perpetrating a crime against innocent people. That's the last thing we need to happen in this community. But if we don't address it in an aggressive fashion, rest assured, that's where we will eventually end up. I want to I tease for a second because we don't have anywhere near enough time to go down this road. But, but I'm thinking about Davos, and I'm thinking about the World Economic Forum. I'm thinking about Klaus Schwab and some of the, um, some of the elites that believe they need to be in charge of how we interact and with one another live our lives. Remember uh, John Kerry at Davos declaring himself an extraterrestrial, <laughs> and nobody looked like, wow, he just called himself an extraterrestrial? Um, he referred to all of them as a select group I mean, of human beings. And that's why they let him slide on the extraterrestrial. Yeah. You know, most, Special most of, people. Most of us. I mean, I would have nudged Rev and I said, did he call himself E.T.? Um, <laughs> and he did. And Rev would have said, yeah, but he called us select. So, I mean, <laughs> who do we care? I mean, we're select. Right. Yeah, you know, we're, 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 we're rare. He's even more rare than we are. But as long as I'm rare, I'm good with this. Well, Jordan Peterson, who was a clinician and, and a man under attack. And the reason Peterson's a man under attack is he's not, he's not kiss the ring. He's not bowed to the altar of groupthink and political correctness and, and wokeness. He's one of the few clinicians. I think he's a psychiatrist, but he's one of the few of those people who have not, you know, bowed to the altar, kissed the ring of um, the predominant narrative of academia and, and woke culture and political correctness. And um, he and Joe Rogan, and I'm telling you, Kerry Gore, Rogan Peterson, my money's on Rogan Peterson. I mean, it really is for attracting the masses. Um, they are planning to, to get about uh, a couple of hundred people together, uh, what they call thought leaders, to meet in London to counter some of this globalist narrative, some of this, um, uh, you know, and it's really about when you really break Davos down. And I tried to look a little bit Saturday, I had some time because there's no college football and I'm in withdrawals. Um, I really tried to, to read a little bit about Davos and it's confusing. It's misleading. It's intentionally dishonest, but at the end of the day, they want to be the determinant of food and energy. I mean, we can live with a lot of things. We can live without a lot of things. We, we, you know, Rev wants the bridge here. I want the bridge there. Rev wants, 
you know, this many Republicans in the Senate. I want that many Democrats in the Senate. Rev wants J.D. Vance to be the next president. I want Ron DeSantis. Our listeners want Donald Trump. You know, th- those are meaningful debates. They matter a lot. But in the grand scheme of things, who controls the, who controls, controls the food and the energy will we'll have a lot of say-so as to how society conducts itself. And they know that. Of course they do. No question about it, they do. So when they start talking about climate change and you know health and wellness and all these other sorts of things, it really goes back to food and energy. And, and Peterson and Rogan are talking a little bit about, and Rogan is less politically inclined than Peterson. I mean, they're, they're, they're both very popular amongst people who dabble in politics but aren't consumed by it. I mean, Joe Rogan has a politician, what, every fifth podcast? But every podcast consists of some political conversation. I mean, even when he's talking about the guy that, I mean, they had a guy on a couple of weeks ago about the, you know, the um, how they built the pyramids. I mean, even that turns into somewhat of a political conversation. And, um, and the beauty of Rogan, he invites interesting people and he lets them talk. I mean, it doesn't beat him over the head like Chuck Todd tried to do mm-hmm. with Jim Jordan yesterday. You know, the um, oh, I missed that. The typical confrontation on meet on meet the press. But but I want to find out more about what Peterson and Rogan have in mind, and and is there a chance to assimilate kind of a a way of thinking contrary to the Davos man and woman? Because the Davos man and woman believe that anybody of influence, anybody of, uh, of noteworthiness is included in their cabal. And, and, you know, everybody we need on the team is on the team. So when we start talking about energy, there's nobody outside of Davos that can really affect, if all of us get together and all of us decide where the world goes in regards to energy, who are they to suggest otherwise? In other words, the, the CEO of Exxon's here, the CEO of BP's here. You know, the, the, the cartel lords are here. Um, uh, the, the Canadian prime minister is here. Uh, you know what I mean? We, we got everybody that matters in this room. So when we decide that the next 20 years will be this sort of energy, this sort of energy policy, this sort of um, global standard, who, who are they to say otherwise? And I think on food, it's become similar to that. Breeze was talking earlier about tractor supply and chicken feed and eggs and, you know, all, all these other sorts of things, they, 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 they have everybody in Davos who matters when it comes to, you know, the, um, the, the, the growing and distributing of food, protein in particular. Um, you know, pro- protein's kind of the essential ingredient to, to health and well-being. I mean, you got to have carbs, you got to have fat, got to have all these other sorts of things. But, I mean, if you don't have, I mean, there, there's a reason center of the place protein. I mean, it's, it's what, it's the, it's the, ah, what am I trying to say here? It's the foundation of health. I mean, it really is. Um, if you cut out protein in your diet, you have some problems. You cut out some carbs, lose some weight. You, you'll feel like crap at times, but I mean, your body will, will, will sustain. You cut out protein. So when, when, when Davos, when the Davos man and woman get together and, and, and they talk about all these ancillary debates, and I think it's glitz and glamour. I think what you got to really pay attention to is when they talk about food and energy. And, and this past Davos, more than at any time, they, they caught, I mean, it was laser-focused on energy. Now, now, when I say energy, I'm talking climate change. I mean, of course I'm talking climate change. What is the impetus to get us to stop burning fossil fuel? 
right? I mean, it's climate change. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody in his right mind would say, well, that's dumb. I mean, that make any sense. You got this fuel readily available, you know, easily exportable, um, pretty dependable, fairly affordable. Why are we doing this? Because they want to control where we generate our energy from. They want to control where we grow our food, how we distribute our food, and who gets to consume our food. That's not conspiracy theory, guys. Trust me on this. The Davos man and woman are not after, you know, mankind's best interest. They want to control mankind. And to control mankind, it's not about a bridge. It's not about a government program. It's not about the Department of Education. Those are ancillary debates. Those are brush fires. It's about energy, and it's about food. And Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan have decided that they want to have a debate and in London amongst 200 thought leaders, not of the Davos sort, but, but they're, they're, you know what they're going to concentrate on? Food and energy. I mean, it's kind of the antithesis hmm. to, to Davos. I would now, be interested. Did they say, did they name their list of people? They've not named it yet. I think they're assembling the list. Okay. I'm expecting to call by any minute. Um, that's why I keep flipping my phone <laughs> right, over to I make sure that. Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan have reached out to me to be one of those 200, <laughs> 200 thought, thought leaders. leaders. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to fix homelessness in Florence. Uh, I'm tied up, Jordan. Don't call me back, man. I got this big problem. Once I finish with homelessness, in Florence, I'll be happy to join you in uh, in London. It's just kind of an intriguing argument, and it's a macro debate, but it's something that we better be very sensitive of or sensitive to and aware of. Take I also it. I also detect that you must watch a lot of uh, Joe Rogan. Yeah, I do. I watch. Well, I mean, especially since we've made our announcement about you yeah. know. I mean, if you're going to do a podcast, why not watch the guy who got more views than he's kind any of the other gold po- standard? Yeah, any other podcaster? What do they say? Imitation is the truest form of flattery. Yep. Take a break. Back in a minute. It's time for our Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia question. Brought to you by our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. First correct answer to the question. It's a six-pack of Pepsi product. couple of Takes Mondays to make Friday's t-shirt. Talking about food and fuel. You ready? Hmm? What is the largest oil company in America? By revenue. The most revenue-generating oil company, not in the world, but in America. 843-661-0937. The oil company in America that generates the most revenue. Let's go to the phone. Someone there? Hi, you're on the air. You know the answer? Exxon. Exxon Mobil. You're right. Who is this? Where are you calling from? Uh, T.C. Fowler. Okay. T.C., thank you for calling. Hang on just a second. I'll get you back to the Royal Rev of Radio, who's done a magnificent job today (laughs) at double duty, handling his calls as well as opining on whatever it is um, the host has to say. Yeah. I'm uh, trying. Okay, good deal. Um, <laughs> you're back in the saddle again, though. Yeah, we're, we're this in is pre- very familiar. We're in hot pursuit of a new producer, <laughs> if you know anybody that may be interested in in that job. But ExxonMobil ranks first among U.S. oil and gas producing companies. I think, I mean, their market cap's, what, $500 billion, mm. depending on what the share of a stock is. But I think it's in the neighborhood of four to $500 billion. But thanks, TC, for listening, and congratulations uh, for winning our um, our first of the week takes Monday. Well, maybe two of them. It's either the first one or the last one. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I've got a radio show in my pocket. What are you going to say? Ray? I was going to say. So, is the largest? Is it British Petroleum would be the largest in the world? I think, I think? Saudi Arabia. What? What is that? Saudi. Oh, uh, oh, what's yeah, the name of the true. company? It's a um, Saudi Arabian oil company. Um, Aramco. Isn't that what they call it? Oh, Aramco okay. is that what would it's make called. Sense. Uh, China Petroleum and Chemical. Corporations number two, PetroChina number three, Exxon Mobil number four, okay. Shell number five, Chevron, and then BP. 
But yes, Saudi Arabian oil company, number one, China Petroleum, number two, PetroChina, number three, and then Saudi, uh, excuse me, Exxon is the largest American oil company. Um, and I guess it's fully integrated. I mean, this is an oil and gas company. They own a lot of stuff. I mean, they own a great deal. You know, the oil companies were the wealthiest companies in the country until tech came along. And you had Apple and, you know, Google and Intel and uh, Facebook, I think, at one point in time. Amazon. I think, yeah, Amazon. I think Apple's exceeded everybody in market cap. I mean, I think Apple may be the first trillion-dollar company. Um, Google's in hot pursuit of um, of Apple as we go as we go there. Yeah, I get two uh, Smokey the Bandit references <laughs> in the last thirty seconds of the show. Hey, well, pr- appreciate you joining us. We'll have further announcements as the week goes about our our podcast announcement that we did Friday. We'll elaborate. We'll, we'll let you in on um, things we're learning as we go. Have a good day. We'll talk tomorrow.